0: Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM.
1: Ah yes, and many of the papers again this morning, just like over the weekend, were dominated by the death of the one and only Jack Charlton. And uh, the papers today talk of his final journey and indeed the star this morning talks of his final words. Apparently the legendary Irish boss jokingly told them to bugger off. <laughs> it was probably difficult, Jack's fashion. But all the papers talk of it today with loads and loads. But that was the headline uh, in the papers of the weekend that really brought it home. One in particular from the Sunday Mirror where they said that back in the day, you know, Italian 90 and Euro 88 and things like that, Jack Charlton taught us to dream again, you know, of the, of, you know, what we could achieve. And, you know, dreaming of things to come is not such a bad thing. And he taught us that actually. There was euphoria in the country. Uh, in the early days of Jack Charlton's, I suppose for all of his, his reign, really. Uh, and Paul McGrath said at the weekend that there was an awful lot more to Jack Charlton than just hoofing the ball up in the air up front and everybody running after it. He was also saying that he was an incredibly tactical man. Of course, it could never have been that straightforward, just about hoofing the ball up the pitch and everybody running after it. The papers today talk of St. Jack, as they put it in the sun. They're looking for a statue to be built in memory of this national treasure. I mean, if you're not old enough to, to remember, there were incredible days, <laughs> they really were. particularly Italia 90. Talking about a country coming to a stop because of COVID-19 came to a stop back then as well, I can tell you. So lots and lots of tributes uh, to, to Jack Charlton in, in all of the papers again today. In In other news, of course, uh today is an interesting day because if you don't wear a mask on a bus, you risk a two and a half thousand euro fine. If the driver tells you to put the mask on, you don't and he, he's, he won't let you on. And if you still try and get on, uh, the driver will call the guards. But who's going to enforce it? Like, what will the guards do? It'll stop every bus, will it? I mean, what exactly do bus drivers have to do? They're there to drive the bus safely. Uh, you know, surely, be to God, you would think that there could be COVID inspectors, whomever, I mean, HSE official, I don't know, somebody from the army, I don't know. But a bus driver was killed in France over the the wearing of a mask in, in recent days. So there's confusion anyway with regards to that. tell you, there's no confusion when it comes to Benny McCabe. He'll be opening, I, I could say, all of his pubs, I believe at least most of his pubs, he'll be opening next week. He's got, a, he's got a heritage pub. So we're talking about the Rising Sun Brewery, the Bodega, the Crane Lane, the Mutton Lane, the Oval, the Vicarstown Bar, the Chenet, and lots of others. But he makes the echo today because he says he'll be taking absolutely no crap Uh, From punters when he reopens, he says it's not going to be uh, like Christmas Day and Paddy's Day behaviour will not be tolerated when his establishment reopens. What kind of behaviour could be expected on Christmas Day is beyond me when the pubs are closed. But I get what Benny is saying, traditional publican in every sense of the word. And he said uh, he didn't open all along and start serving food out of all of his pubs, even though some of them do sell food. Uh, He said he didn't want to butcher uh, beautiful businesses. So compliance then is the issue, isn't it? Whether it's uh, face masks or what have you. And it's good to see, to the best of my knowledge, I've a welcome to correction on this, a story from the Echo today regarding uh, the no-shows for the Kahrami horse fair above in Buttervent. It didn't happen. People took notice by all accounts. But there are many places now where there have been spikes and countries that have gone back into lockdown. And apparently, the examiner this morning tells us that Florida has more new daily virus cases more so than anywhere else in the United States. Um, and if you break it down, you got to look then as to the amount of Americans or the amount of English people or indeed Europeans that are coming into Ireland on their holidays. Now, more on that in a few minutes' time. Hall Martin says we're not ready to lift quarantine on UK travellers, uh, and but they still can come here on the understanding that they go into a two-week quarantine, which... Doesn't, from what I've been seeing and what I'm hearing and and watching and and reading, doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, for instance, Australia's joined a number of countries around the world who've been forced to re-enter lockdown. COVID-19 cases beginning to spike again Uh, and also uh, in related stories to things like COVID-19, the front of the mail this morning says that there were 12,000 weddings cancelled in this country this year, called off during lockdown and that's why they're saying that people now will start to get married and churches are on board for this apparently. Sunday marriages when things get back to normal, but one thing that of course is really weird people call it, people claiming travel expenses when they weren't travelling at all. I have no idea why, but it's democracy at work. I suppose that when we had a referendum on getting rid of the Senate. Um, people decided to keep the Senate, and that is democracy at work. But I'm never quite sure as to why we actually need it at all. So this morning, the Mirror says that senators earn just under 3.2 million euro for just six days' work this year, because only sixty-six de- six days since January they can actually go to the Senate. And in the 3.2 million, it includes just under a million euro for travel and overnight accommodation expenses, even though there were restrictions on movement, hotels were closed, and the chanet wasn't sitting. So, I don't know how you could justify a figure like that. I mean, you couldn't make this up. They're getting 68,111 euro a year each. And on top of that, healthy expenses, which bring in uh, about, in total, to over 100 grand. So, I mean, senators claiming travel and room costs while in lockdown. I mean, Surely be to God, like, somebody should look into that. Barry Cowan then makes all of the papers because apparently the Independent knew about this for two weeks. The Sunday Times wanted to publish it last Sunday week, but there was legal aspects to it. They were afraid of being sued, but they did it yesterday then, uh, where it's alleging that uh, Barry Cowan tried to evade the Gardaí uh, as he was being stopped uh, at a checkpoint. Now, he is denying that and saying that the guard reports are wrong. The bigger picture here is it's a criminal offence. For a member of the Garda Shakana to leak information about a private citizen or the work of the Garda to anybody, never mind newspapers. Now, whether or not the Independent and the Sunday Times will be rolled into this criminal offence, I don't know. But certainly um, there's a, a GDPR issue here. Uh, Minister wants the record corrected, accusing the Garda now of a criminal offence for releasing whatever kind of dodgy information he claims that they have, because he's saying he did not try and evade Gardaí on the night of that checkpoint. And in one or two other stories, then there's an interesting update then on the Life and Times of Joshua Allen, because this morning the Star is reporting, Allen is is currently on temporary release from prison. They're alleging in the Star that he was searched while he was out with pals in Middleton on Friday night. And the Star has learned that Joshua Allen, age 19, who's serving a sentence... Uh, for possession of cannabis worth more than twenty two grand was allegedly found at the weekend with a small quantity of suspected cocaine in his possession he 's out on temporary release, and that 's the story that makes the star disappointing if it 's true but at this stage i 'm just reporting to you what the uh, what the what the star is reporting as, as a story in their inside pages today and if you 're tied to your desk all day, if you have a desk job apparently it 's very good for your brain it keeps you mentally alert. Whereas, um, you know, people who work with their bodies, say, for instance, in more strenuous manual work, uh, aren't in as good a position with regards to, you know, their their mental health. So that's an interesting one this morning. Um, Maybe it just means that people who do physical work should do a lot more crosswords. (laughs) But mental health is an issue. Like the front of the code this morning saying that there's been a a spike in demand for people who need help uh, with regards to their mental well-being since COVID-19 kicked in and that the services are being stretched even at this early stage. So there you have it. Lines open at one 104 106 You can text 086-104-106. The
0: Neil Prenderville
1: Show.
2: With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to Tesco.ie.
1: And indeed pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. 104 106 Seamus Wheelahan's job this morning is to jump on and off buses to see how's it going since the... This is legislation now since this morning. you have to wear a face mask on a bus. So he'll be around city and suburban buses across the morning. Maybe he's done one or two of those already. I do know that he got the bus from Middleton to Cork this morning and got off in Parnell Place. And he joins me um, on a wet old morning, Seamus, unfortunately. Not the greatest morning to be out and about jumping buses. But how's it been going? Uh, Well, you could
2: chalk that one down. I left home this morning and walked the two kilometres into Middleton to get the bus, and I was like a drowned rat. (laughs) I have the utmost of respect for people that get public transport. I hadn't done it in years, but when I got on in uh, Middleton, um, everybody on the bus did have the masks on, albeit there was only about four or five of us there. um, Everybody was social distancing. Um, So while I was on the bus, I sent out a tweet uh, just saying that it was the first day um, of the official, compu- or sorry, first day of compulsory uh, mask wearing um, coming into play today, and people that failed to wear them could be fined up to two and a half thousand euros and/or six months in jail. And um, we got a, a response back from one uh, one of our followers stating that she got on the bus, two or two and in Churchfield, there was nobody wearing masks. So that was the first... Bus That's that this, morning, this morning, she said,
1: no one was wearing yeah. masks on the 202. Yes,
2: exactly. So I, uh, straight away, when I got... But the off,
1: Middleton had bus, outside. had people had masks, did they?
2: They did, and the bus driver did as well. Um, so when I got off the Middleton bus, I went straight onto the 202, made my way up to Holly Hill. Everybody that got on um had face masks coming back down a similar uh, scenario um, I glanced over to my right as I was heading as we were heading down the, the hill uh, near the San the and uh, there was one or two there alright that didn't have masks of uh, elderly but you would you would hope that they will whip them out of the old handbag when they when they jump on board the bus now I was speaking to uh, one or two of the bus drivers and they're not enforcing the uh, restrictions um, what they're telling me is that uh, I could have basically gone on the bus this morning without a without a mask they're expecting the guardie to um, enforce the uh, the new regulations that that ex- that's
1: extraordinary again. because my understanding of this is that if you get on the bus and you don't have a mask as you're getting on the bus the bus driver will tell you to put on a mask, if you put it on you're allowed on if you don't put it on he'll ask you to leave the bus or she'll ask you to leave the bus if you refuse and then continue to get on the bus the bus is stopped and the driver is to call the guards.
2: That that was my understanding as well, but I I, I see a piece in uh, one of the uh, the red tops uh, regarding um, the mass and I think Dermot O'Leary of the NBRU wasn't too happy with his members uh, having to enforce the regulations um, because they were citing uh, that case that you mentioned uh, uh, previously in France.
1: Where the bus driver was killed over a row, exactly. over a mask.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: No, anyway, wh- whoever, said, whoever said... Sorry, go ahead.
2: Um, like, I've spoken to about three bus drivers, and they, they're basically saying that they wouldn't have enforced the... They would have left me on this morning, they wouldn't have enforced it, they would have told me that it was law to wear a mask but uh, they're expecting the need the to be the ones that are policing
1: it Okay, so this, this randomer that said that nobody on the 202 was wearing masks was wrong then
2: Well, I maybe she was on an earlier bus and they weren't but the, the buses, every bus that I, uh, that I was on this morning so far everybody has been compliant and
1: they've been wearing their masks. So no bus driver has had to stop anybody because everybody's had a mask
2: as of yet, but I look. I'm gonna jump on one or two more buses throughout the morning, and I'm trying to. I'll try and get you a bit of audio and send that back
1: to you as well. And are the drivers obliged to wear masks? there?
2: Um. Well, two out of the three were, and um, no, they See, that's that. That's the thing, uh, Neil. I'm not too sure. I might. I might ask one of the the other uh, drivers when I jump on the next bus, but. They're encased in uh, a prospect's box anyway, so you'd wonder
3: do they need why
2: it? they w- why they would need one. Like, there's a bus just past me here. No, he's not wearing a, a mask, but the, the bus previous to him, they were wearing a mask. So it's kind of hit and miss when it, when it comes to bus drivers. But you would assume it wouldn't really make much difference because
1: they're encased in a prospect box anyway. And what's the story then, or do you know, with regards to trains? Do the same rules apply?
2: The same rules uh, apply for any public transport, be it uh, bus, train or if it's a private bus group. Like I know, for instance, the Cove Connect, which um, go to court from Cove on the hour. They're uh, basically insisting that everybody wear a mask. And if you don't have a mask uh, with you when you arrive at the
1: bus stop, they'll sell you one. Right. Um It's interesting, though, because I did hear from somebody who's just uh, got back from overseas, apparently, and gone into quarantine. But this is a story out of Dublin. But when they when they were going out to Poland, oh, sorry, they're, they're, actually, it's a text that came in from Poland. There was a full Ryanair flight went to Poland full. Um, none of the middle seats were taken out of service. Everybody had a seat and many, many people were on board this flight with very few masks. So it's kind of a bit of a nonsense, really, isn't it? You have one rule for a bus and no rule for a plane. I don't know. Anyway, is, wh-
3: and,
2: and then there's a small print then as well that depending on uh, like you, I, I could have told them I had a certain medical condition that I couldn't wear a mask and they could have got away with us.
1: Okay, so a lot of confusion as to who's actually um, in, in, in putting the rules into force. Um, and you're you're about to board another one now or head somewhere else? Is that right? Yeah,
2: I, I, I might head out towards. Douglas, listen then I'll I'll come back in and, and head towards uh Bell and College, see what it's, we'll see what it's like over, okay over do, there. Okay, I'll talk to you a little
1: Okay, talk to you a little later on then uh, and feed, feed me back some audio as well. Uh, somebody says that the 22 9 this morning past the 202 And some of the passengers were not wearing masks, which means that the drivers are uh, not enforcing the rule. uh, And I imagine their union doesn't want to want them to do that either. Um, I'm a bus driver. I will be enforcing the mask laws. I can't answer calls, but it's only fair on myself and other passengers that do wear masks. No mask, no travel on my bus. Simple, says the Cork bus driver this morning. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay. What do you, what's your, do you, do you, do you take buses, incidentally? I do now and again, but uh, I was talking to a, a bus driver there a week ago,
4: and he told me under no circumstances would he be enforcing this rule. Now, you can imagine what he was said to me, right, you know, he hit, hit, hit home straight away. 10 o'clock at night, maybe two or three people on the bus, he'd pull up, we say, to a tough part of the city. Three lads come to the bus to get on, With no mess. You don't know what they're after taking. They could be after drink. They could be after you-know-what. And he tell them to put on mess. Now, for his own safety alone, and the safety of his passengers, what's he supposed to do like? Like, he could be assaulted. You, it's all very fine to say that you can refuse him. But... If they want to uh, 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 play the rules, and if they can't play the rules, right, you must wait in for a guarantee, right? Yeah, to but,
1: right. if you had two members of the army at every... I mean, listen to me talking like this. If you had two members of the army at every single bus stop, in full fatigues, asking to see masks... Um, yeah. The army have no power like that. What? No, but yeah. you can have special legislation for this. I mean, it's an absolute nonsense to say you'll be fined two and a half grand or six months in jail... For um for this is a law now that is unenforceable as it is. That never happens, and that will never happen. That law
4: that no that, that law won't be applied to one person in the country. I guarantee you. Never mind the county.
1: Well, I can't blame a bus driver taking somebody on. I mean, well, can't, they, they shouldn't have to take people on.
4: They don't. It's not their job. Listen to me. There's stressed enough to try to drive around the city you, you, from all angles. You'd know where you're going to get a bill for the lorry or a bill for the car the way people are driving. Uh, you know. I feel I feel awful for the bus drivers. I've seen bus drivers in action and like, and, and and Jesus, Almighty, I, I I No way would I do that job. But they have. They're waiting not to enforce it for their own safety and for this. Hey. Like, these, we, I just said, I mentioned three lads It could be one night. So sure, he he makes me the wings of that man and the and the boss in the in the, the metal. Uh, I know.
1: Five I, or know. Ten I understand. Yeah, they have enough to be dealing with. The, yeah. They have enough Which to be dealing with, particularly at night if people are you know maybe. A the, bit the, girls, the, the girls,
4: the girls, the girls, they're not going around, and, and it's no fault of the girls. They're, they're more work being put on them. You no, know, to trick the public to say that see that, see that they're, they're, they're doing social distance. What, what kind of a state are we have to be coming at all?
1: Yeah, um, it'll be very interesting to see what the rest of the morning is with Seamus on other buses. Somebody says, I was on, I was on the 215 bus from Skahard Road to the city at 25 to 8 this morning. The bus driver and one passenger weren't wearing a mask. So there was three of us on the bus. The girl wasn't asked to wear a mask. It's very frustrating. The bus driver said absolutely nothing at all. Uh, so the they're, they're, bus drivers are obviously following what their union are telling them.
4: Yes, me. I, I, as I spoke to you at the start of our conversation, I was talking to the bus driver and the bus driver told me that the, the company, and just mentioned Bushearham, they don't give a damn about their stuff. They don't give a damn about them.
1: What do you mean and they don't give a damn? Aren't they behind, they perspe- aren't they behind Perspex and untouchable?
4: <laughs> they had to be put in. They had, they had to be put in. Only, only for they had to be put in, they would be nothing done for Listen me, Neil. look me. Like I, I stand with the bus drivers here. I stand with the fellas that's not enforcing it. It's it's unfair. I know it's unfair, but they must think their families to home, to Neil. They, have, they must think of their own safety. They want to finish All their right. shift and get home.
1: Without a doubt. Okay, let's get some more calls and texts on this. Appreciate it, Jim. Have a good day. Text 0868104106. Morning, Rory says. I just passed the 205 heading west on the Model Farm Road. Didn't see the passengers, but the driver was not wearing a mask, says he. Pick it up after the break. Thank
0: you. Text the Neil Brenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. All right, so
1: more on the buses and stuff like that across the morning and lots more also. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You know they say they say that Jack Charlton actually pref- not that he didn't like soccer or football, but that his real passion was fishing more so than yeah. soccer by all accounts. Did you know that he was a fly fisherman? Yes, yeah, and and he very much favoured um, the River Moy
5: up in Mayo, and of course um, from Moy and. The surrounding
1: area. He loved fishing down here. And um, I I have memories actually of him because back in the day, of course, I met him from time to time. But one lovely memory was one day down on a sunny, sunny day in a, in a little restaurant bar in Kinsale. He was, he was down there. Um, He was great to have a pint with people, but he loved a quiet moment as well. And I always remember looking over him at one stage and he was all in his own sitting down eating the biggest seafood platter that I ever saw in my life with a pint of Guinness next to him. So it was the pint of Guinness and this huge seafood platter. And nothing else in the world mattered more to him than that seafood platter, that pint in that moment. It was a lovely, lovely thing to see all on his own with the world going on around him, you know. Where did you meet him?
5: Well, I, I, I planned a trip to London. It was June 1997. So he would have been a year out from the managerial role and probably relaxing, and um, the, this was the time when you didn't book online. It was the travel agent, and she said to me, I-, "I can get you to London, but you'll have to get a transfer in Dublin on the way home."
1: Yeah.
5: So I arrived in Dublin and got on the plane for Cork, and um, that's when you could fly while, from Dublin to Cork, of course. Yeah. And um, I noticed it was literally full, but there was a seat. Next to me, I was in the outside aisle and uh, another guy by the window. But as usual, nobody was going to sit next to me. <laughs> so um, we waited and waited. Why, and Why the time, weren't they
1: going to sit next to you?
5: I, 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 I always say to people when I go to a wedding, I always get a second dinner because nobody sits next <laughs> to
1: me. Okay. You should have a look into that. But anyway, go on.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um We're waiting and waiting. And next thing, Pat Cox, I think he was MEP for our area, but he was president of the European Parliament at the time. And he came on and everybody said, oh, yeah, we will be going now. And then the pilot announced, no, we're waiting for one more passenger. (laughs) And um, finally, I see walking down the aisle the undeniable Jack Charlton with a newspaper under his arm <laughs> and he's heading right for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to tell you, Neil, of all the people in County Cork, I knew least about football. Oh, no. I was more into athletics and that kind of thing. But anyway, I got up and uh, as he was passing me in, I said, Jesus, Jack, is that you? <laughs> 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 and he didn't pretend a bit. His false words were uh, Yanni good at crossword puzzles. <laughs> God, I said, Jack, I'll have a go anyway. <laughs> and so we began doing the crossword. Together. So a, couple, a couple of guys up and down the aisle were handing back pieces of paper to sign the autograph, and he had no problem doing that. But um, ah, I said, Jack, lovely. can I ask you, where are you going? Because I, I felt so at ease with him, as you said, about the situation at Kinsale. Yeah. A very relaxed man. So he said, look, he said, I'll tell you, I'm going to a place, but you probably never heard of it. It's called Ballyhooley. And I said, Jack, I'm only living up the road from in Glanward. That's right. Well, he said, I'm going down there because it's a great fishing spot on the bank and of the, the Black Blackwater. On Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And he had any house organised and
5: everything? About? I think he used to stay in the house. You know, there's a house annexed to the castle. As you look from the bridge... In I'll Barry take your word India, for it, you know. but he was
1: all sorted and everything. Oh God, yes! Did he invite and, you to uh, go fishing with him then as well? Well, he
5: said you're very well come along, <laughs> but there was one proviso, <laughs> which wouldn't do me. He said there'd be no talking, <laughs> and I said, Jack, you don't know me; I wouldn't manage that.
1: Did you finish so, the crossword?
5: Well, we were carrying on, and the next thing there was this very difficult word, and. I said, I haven't a clue, Jack, but there's a guy across there who looks like he might know. So I, I leaned across <laughs> and I, I asked him, and you know what? It took him about a minute, but he had the answer. And I swooned back to Jack, but I was too late. <laughs> Jack
1: <laughs> Jack, was, Jack was asleep. Oh, my God. He was, I mean, <laughs> he was so relaxed, does not he? But you see, he, he could have been up early that morning. But because like, uh, you can you can meet people sometimes to meet your heroes is a disappointment because they could be rude or grumpy. Oh God, no, you yeah. know. But this was and, but not the mean, case. But what amused me was there's thousands of people
5: out there who could have had a, what I call a decent conversation. But I don't think Jack wants to talk about football.
1: I know that would be like a like a busman's holiday. Probably the last thing yeah. that somebody who's wants to who's involved in something at a professional level is to talk about that job. They want to talk about other things. I I read that uh, when he was um, in Rome before that big
5: match, um, they got an audience with the Pope, and as usual, Jack had another similar tongue, and uh, um, it took a bit of a while, and as the Pope was giving the blessing, Jack dozed off. And uh, when he woke up, the Pope had his hand outstretched, and Jack thought he was (laughs) waving at him, so he he waved back. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, The the flight carried on to Cork, and... He never woke until we touched down on the runaway in Cork Airport and I wished him well and never never saw him again. Well, and I hope story. he's in a
1: happy place because that's a, beautiful
5: a story. lovely, lovely man.
1: That's a beautiful story all day long. You did the crossword from Dublin to Cork with the great Jack Charlton. Oh my god. So sad and news of the week. Oh, was he eighty five, I think. Was it eighty five? Eighty five, but I did read
5: that when he came to Ireland um for his eighty birthday in 2015, he was already suffering the, the, the beginning of the, the dementia. Yeah.
1: But, um, you oh, know, it's yeah. just, just sad. The clock but is um, ticking for all of us. But you know something, in Dublin now this morning they're talking about um, um, uh, erecting a statue to Jack Charlton. But we have one yeah. already, don't we? Where is that? Is that up in Cork Airport? It is, with the fishing rod. Yeah.
6: Where is it in Cork Airport?
5: Well, at one stage it was inside, but now, of course, with all the changes, um, I think it may actually be outside or is there
1: um, someone will tell me town. don't you worry there's a beautiful it's a sit, he's sitting down with the rod and everything yes. and it's yes. it's big like it's bigger than life size yes. oh here's one it's for you he, poor jack's fishing statue is sitting outside the toilets up in cork airport it needs oh to be moved God. to a better place he told me that on occasion because he's obviously come down many times he'd
5: walk almost as far as mallow now that's 14 miles
1: he was a great soccer player. played with Leeds yeah. and he played with, uh, with England. He was on a couple uh, of World,
5: 773 World Cup 773 times he played with Leeds.
1: Now, ah, Well, you know your stuff then, in fairness to you.
5: Uh, well, I, I researched it after that. But sadly, himself and Bobby, they didn't see a tie at all for 20 years, but they made it up towards the end. Well, thank God for that, at least. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's a lovely story. Thank you so much for sharing it. The crossword... On the plane to Cork, uh, love it. It's good to talk to you, Neil. Cheers, man. Thanks, Liam. Have a good day. Bye bye. Take Bye bye. Text two eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Lot of texts, lot of emails. Here's a couple by selection for you, Um, Neil. I think we're flying forward to the next lockdown all over again. This is somebody who was at socialising. My husband and I went out Saturday night for food in a few places. One place was superb; couldn't fault it. One was uh, what can only be described as a joke. If we wanted to stay longer than the time, we could have no bother, you know, the 105 minutes. We didn't feel safe, uh, but staying, we didn't feel safe staying beyond allocated times. The staff were complacent uh, when coming home, when we were leaving, that uh, the establishment was jointed. Now, this is making a whole lot of sense to me. How could the place be jointed if the staff were, com- oh yeah, I understand what you mean, as in the staff really weren't. Uh, you know, on top of their game and that's and they were complacent. So we left. The third bar had a temperature check at the door. The guy in front had a high reading reading when they took his temperature and they asked him to stand aside for a few minutes until his temperature went down. Uh, I don't have a huge problem with that. Then they could check it again and if it was still high, then he won't get in, I suppose. But inside... Zero staff wearing any masks and the toilets and those going to and from were a joke. I wore a mask in there myself as there was no social distancing from people. I feel sorry for the ones that were doing it right. Uh, in one particular establishment, the outside seating area as well was a bit much because a lot of people were drunk Walking around and hugging each other, I just don't get that either. Also, on the way home, uh, the people who were there four hours previously were still in there drinking. They were outside, sitting at the tables, smoking. Anyway, we probably won't do that again. I couldn't get wait to get out of the city. So, Sarah, how how would you know that people were in a place for four hours if you were only in there for an hour and a half? But anyway, how like it's kind of even difficult as to say how you would. How you would wear a mask in in a pub or in a restaurant? Like like, how can you eat? I mean, is it between the the spoonfuls or the mouthfuls of food, or you know, you up the mask for a drink and mask back down again? Anyway, so the phone lines we go. Billy, good morning. Oh, good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. We spoke um, only recently when you when we updated on your book doing Pana. That's
7: correct. Fair That's clear. correct. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so here I am again. Here you are again. But it's another
1: lovely Jack story, isn't it?
7: That was the order story, Jack Sheldon. Yeah. Yeah, you see, I was a lot of these celebrities, you know.
1: Because you were coach driving, weren't
7: you? I I was driving, the little courtesy coach there for Silver Springs. Fair pleasure. And, and, uh... This day, anyway, that's the reject to Jack to the airport. What year was this? Oh, Jack, so that was... It was in the height of the World Cup thing, anyway.
1: Okay, so we're talking about the early 90s.
7: Yeah, yeah. And this was, uh death between the Jack Charlton to the airport so that was no problem And uh, you know I didn't see anything very special about Reeser or who Jack Charlton was but anyway but off you went
1: about but you knew about Italian 19 oh, you I knew that it. he was the manager of the Irish soccer team yeah
7: exactly Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. but we uh, went off in there and we were talking about fishing the whole way up where he was fishing and where he was uh, explaining to me where I should go fishing Sure. If I went we're in twenty miles in those places, I'd be thrown out. But
1: uh, <laughs> why? Because it's private, is it?
7: Anyway, my son, my son Sean is a great follower of soccer now, you know. Yeah. Even though know, he plays holding in football, he's a great soccer fan. But uh, we came home. Uh, I went home from work that evening. I told Teresa here that uh, Jack Charlton. I took Jack Charlton to the airport. So she was mad excited about that, and when Sean came in, it was the first thing she told him. He brought Jack Alton to the airport today. Air. He said straight away, he said, did he put in the word for Ronnie? <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie Whelan. Ronnie Whelan was touching good. I tell you, like, what he'd be on the team or that. <laughs> and that was the first thing he said. Did he put in the word for Ronnie? <laughs> no. It says, well, I'll never all talk about was fishing. <laughs> So I said, oh, Jesus, that's just my father, he said. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking with the most famous radical uh, manager in the world. Yeah, yeah. And all he can talk is about fishing.
1: That's <laughs> all he yeah. wanted to talk about, apparently. His love of fishing was, they say, his family say, he oh, loves fishing more than soccer.
7: Legendary, actually. It's,
1: it's a lovely it's story.
7: CX, it's a lovely story. I about that. Cheers, you know, no, I'd, uh, I'd have a lot of doors for that, you know... Hey, Brendan Grace another time. And ah, lovely guy. Soccer, some other soccer manager another time. And there, there was one thing you know, i just tell you before I go. There was this top man in, in Europe for uh, Opel. Opel uh, they were sponsoring the. They were well, sponsoring the Irish
1: soccer team, yeah. yeah.
7: And he was, you know, and his wife was after injury, her leg. So she was going out and they gave her a wheelchair for the trip. And they called me to drive them out to Blarney. Well, we used their own car, which was uh, an automatic, beautiful big Opel, and uh, I was driving, of course. But when I went to collect them, there was, you know, man, he, he was doing the the advertising there for Opel during the World Cup.
0: Right.
7: I, I can't remember his name now, but he was there, and he down on his knees and he pumped the wheel <laughs> <laughs> of the wheelchair. <laughs> And he looked up at me and he said, Billy, you better do this right today, he said, because my job is on the <laughs> <laughs> so
1: Take
7: care, care, Billy. Cheers, Noah.
1: Take care. Much obliged. Con, good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm good. Jackie Charlton died at the weekend. Your thoughts and memories?
8: Yeah, well, I, I, my memory is I was on board a cruise ship, working on the cruise ship. Jack was on board there for the launch of a book by a former Arsenal... Um, goalkeeper Taylor was his name I'm not a big football man anyway I met Jack in Gibraltar in the departure lounge or the arrival lounge and I said Jack I've got an old shirt on board I said Irish shirt would you sign it for me He said, no bother, I bought it in Istanbul for about two pounds, one of these (laughs) Turkish-made ones, you know. So He was invited down to the crew bar. At five o'clock he came down, and we had a great old session with him for a couple of hours. What crew
1: bar was that? Where?
8: We had had a crew bar on the ship.
1: Okay, okay.
8: So we were down there, a few of us around, there were a lot of football guys on board, you know, they were all down there. And like he, he was, was there a match on that channel.
1: Channel or something, or what?
8: No, no, he was there for the launch of Taylor's book. Just the book, a okay. The yeah. 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 yeah, that's what he was doing. You were and on board, yeah. I was working on board, Jack was on board as a guest for Taylor. And um, for the launch of his of Taylor's book, and he was a really funny man. Extremely tall, I've got a lovely photograph taken with him. He can only sh- He's tall, I'm small, you know, but it was a great memory for me. I
1: thought it was a Mickey Mouse shirt he signed for <laughs>
8: But it was Mickey Mouse, you know. If you buy something in Istanbul, so that's what it's going to be, you know. You, you know.
0: <laughs> oh, it sounds to
1: me as if he never refused to sign an autograph for stop and chat with someone for a minute or two. No, he although, was, although he seemed to have a gruff persona then when he was doing his managerial duties, you know.
8: You'd only find that out if you were t- as tall as him. If you were smaller than him, you'd never pick that up because he was talking over everyone because he was extremely tall. But he was not. He was... Very easily approachable. Like, he didn't know me, madam. Had I saw him around the ship walking around and I never approached him. But when I did, and when he was invited to the crew bar, he couldn't wait to come down. He was a good man at the whiskey, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, he loved his jar. Yeah, he was yeah, responsible yeah. with it, though, but he did love it. Yeah, yeah. He was,
8: he was he was he Look, a lot of the northern England English people are quite funny anyway. They have a dry sense of humor. It's thought of their nature up there.
1: He taught us. He taught us to dare to dream. I thought that was beautifully put yesterday.
8: He did because he, look, look what he did. He he made he he brought Ireland to the front. You know, Ireland became a very famous. We
1: nearly got to the. We nearly got to the semi-finals of the World Cup. That's it. <laughs> N-
8: nearly
1: is not bad either. No, it's not. It's not. I don't know. Leave it at that. Good point. Thanks, Con. Mind yourself. Cheers. <laughs> it easy. Take back. care. Okay, back bye. to uh, issues involving buses and what have you. This is a, there's a ridiculously low number of passengers and drivers on bus air and wearing face covering, although it is now mandatory. There needs to be a swift implementation of the consequences faced by breaking this new law, as no one seems to care about it, especially the drivers. Also, on a side note, bus air and services are woeful and leave work commuters late often. The real-time app shows no improvement and the drivers are completely uninformed and unhelpful. Unhelpful. Well, the drivers don't design the app, nor do the drivers have any control over traffic or roadworks or stuff like that. So don't be giving the drivers any grief on this. And also, it's totally unacceptable, I believe, to be asking bus drivers to implement this legislation. You know? That's for a different department and a different set of people. They're there to drive buses, to drive you to your destination safely. That's just my thoughts anyway. You can agree or disagree. Back after these.
0: Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 106 Red FM.
1: Yes, indeed. Text 868 Liam did a check on flights arriving in Dublin Air- to Dublin Airport for tomorrow Tuesday. So he did a check on this yesterday. Thank you, Liam. He said there will be 27 flight arrivals into dublin airport tomorrow including flights from boston chicago dallas and two from new york of course you can read all sorts of column inches and see things on social media and i saw with my own eyes over the weekend an awful lot of uh, actually there's an awful lot of irish reg cars from all over the country down in west cork i saw that last weekend and this weekend just gone I saw down in the Kerry area, loads and loads from all of the different counties. But there is a disturbing amount of English regs, cars, uh, camper vans, uh, and to a lesser extent pulling caravans, quite an amount of them. And so there's uh, like there's a lot of tourists out there in, in West Cork and indeed in Kerry. Now, the vast majority of them are Irish, but I am seeing a lot of cars. I was sitting just watching cars go by yesterday afternoon um, and, you know, I would say maybe about 70 percent of them, 75 percent of them. Uh, were either cork or carry cars, and then, well, maybe that's a bit high, maybe about 60% were cork and carry cars, maybe about 20%, 25% were from the rest of Ireland, and then about 10 or 15% of them, as they're going by, were from overseas. So they are there. Some text then related to that. The crowds outside pubs in this new normal time must be totally banned. House parties need to be banned Come the winter time, there could well be chaos. There's a, an interesting text on that, actually, um, from Pat, uh, who says, a woman flew from England for an 18th birthday party. I won't say the suburb or the date, but let me just say um, that it was, uh, you know, some weeks back. Uh, flew from England uh, for an 18th birthday party. Um, at least 40 people were in the party, as they were all related. They believed that social distancing did not apply. And that woman then flew back to England two days later. And that's the kind of stuff, he says, that's going to get us back into trouble. Of course, the the house parties are a big worry because they're happening everywhere, everywhere. Back to the phone lines we go. Mark, good morning. Morning, Nilo. Pubs and bars. Somebody sent me um, uh, some shots at the weekend then of one or two Dublin pubs that actually have musicians. I saw a guy playing guitar on a little mini stage in a big bar belting out the tunes. What's going on?
9: Yeah. It's in, uh, supposedly in in a hotel in Kerry as well. It's same um, um, as far as I know. It, it's frowned upon, but it's not illegal, so they're 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 actually letting them play. Um, but there's no guidelines whatsoever, so that's what it seems to be. Um, it seems that the pubs just have Like I spoke to a lot of pubs. Sorry, I spoke to a lot of pubs in the last couple of um, the last couple of weeks, and they just they haven't got any guidelines. They can't expect them to be ready within. Let's say six days. No, so target. you're a musician.
1: No. Have you any bookings coming in from say for the weekend after next?
9: I actually, I, I work with uh, Ted. You know Ted on, and do. I have uh, the only, the only, the only bookings I have in. I have a, I have a wedding booked in for the 8th of August, and I have a wedding booked in for the 16th of August as well. They're basically what they are is they they had bigger weddings booked and they had bands booked and they've moved down to a one piece, which is myself. Um, and one of the hotels I won't mention, but there be hotels, no there the be hotels. no
1: dancing, would there? Or will there be no jock after you or well, anything? They,
9: well, I, I well I do the DJ as well. So um, basically, what they said is the, the guy the guy is actually American. He's coming out, they're coming over to and get married. They're quarantined for two weeks, as far as I know, and they get married at Google Bar. But I won't mention the hotels. But the, first, the one hotel for the eighth of August said that the. Um, that there is no dancing allowed. No, if there's no dancing allowed, then he won't he won't be going ahead with music. Now I spoke to another hotelier, and um, this guy said that that's a, that 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 there will be dancing allowed.
1: Oh, did you see no, Nice sure. at the weekend for that uh, that outside gig on the on the waterfront? No. Oh my gosh. you didn't see the no. video footage of that. I'll, put, on, I'll no, put it up on. I'll put it up online. You can see it. You're talking about yeah. thousands and thousands of young people boogieing and dancing to a big DJ festival. I mean, like they were no, just it. up on top of each other.
9: Yeah, it's like as I said in in, in like a lot of hotels. A lot of a lot of folks are making an effort, but they they can't. They, they don't want to be spending money on on stuff when they know that, like they don't know whether it's going to be one meter, two meters. They don't know whether they. It'll be
10: a
1: meter from Monday, won't it? If they, months if, months. if they, if they, we don't even know if they're going to open Monday, do
9: we? If we don't know. Well, as far like I spoke to four or five because I'm I'm doing sanitised dispensers and stuff while I'm not doing any any musician work Good at the man. moment, obviously. So um, I keep myself busy, obviously, keeping making ends meet. Um, I spoke to five or six bars in the last in the, uh, over the weekend in the last in the last, in the last couple of hours, and they think that that they're not going to be opening on Monday. They don't think so because. They can't expect them to be ready within four or five days. You know what I mean. So, um, but sure, they've had weeks.
1: They've had months to get ready. What, what? What's the delay? But they don't. The guidelines. They don't know what
9: guidelines they need. You know, like they they said the government was saying it, it might be a meter. It depends on your your square footage. Whatever. It might be a meter. Might I know meter, what you
1: mean. So they're still up know. in the but air as whether it's two.
9: Yeah, they're going to make excuses. About, oh, look, this is why I only I have a meter because I'm only using this area. That, blah, blah, you know. So it's just, it's just no one's going to come in with a measuring tape to see how much square footage you have. You know what I mean? So it's, I just think it's it's the pubs themselves think that it's just they don't have an idea what to do. Like, even though it's basic things that people know that they need to do with their social distancing and so on and so forth, but they want to have proper guidelines to know what they actually need in the bars themselves. Benny
1: McCabe in The Echo this morning says he's looking forward to opening his uh, heritage pubs next week. He also says he has been taking no crap from customers. He'll bar anyone who breaks the COVID-19 rules. He's looking forward to opening next week.
9: Yeah, Benny is doing everything by the book, and I've heard him a few times on the air with, with yourself, and he put up a lovely post about musicians a couple of months ago on Facebook. In the fact that we probably won't be back till, till God only knows when. And not to forget about the musicians when it comes to COVID-19 payments and so on and so forth. But um, like Benny, Benny, Benny's doing everything by the book and he, he always will do it
1: by the book, you know. Okay, but he seems he seems if he's ready to go from from Monday.
9: I, a lot of people are, they're getting ready to go. Um, and I'm actually doing, I have four jobs today alone to just install the Spencers into the actual bars themselves. And they're doing it because of the fact that they're and they're asking me, like I I, I we we, we kinda of work with the guidelines of the HSC, so I'm kinda of saying every every entry and exit one between the toilets on so forth, you know. Just okay. try to get them get get them as, as close as possible to to keep the government guidelines.
1: Okay, know. if somebody's listening now that wants some sanitizers and dispensers installed by your good self, how can they get in touch with you?
9: Um, well, we have a Facebook page, it's called The Supplies Ireland, and uh, my, uh, my mobile then as well, so if you want me to get that out.
1: Okay, okay, I'll, g- I'll put you back on hold, give the mobile number to, to Brendan, I'll give it a, I'll give yep. it a spin for you, alright? Cheers, cheers. Please. Cheers, Thanks. Mark, actually, but take care, confusion Mark says even next Monday as to what the pubs will do, one metre or two metre. Benny McCabe said uh, that he knew a lot of his regular customers were looking forward to going for a pint instead of a meal, and said he just hoped that no one will act the maggot. In Cork's parlance, nobody act the maggot. He'd be taking no crap. And he runs a good house, many good houses. Back after the break.
0: The Neil Prenderville Show. On Twitter, at
1: NeilRedFM. A lot of texts all morning, so keep them coming. I'm a bus driver and I was servicing the CUH this morning. His bus was the bus to the CUH. I picked up a nurse, just finished her shift, and asked her, did she have a face mask? Her response was, sure, I didn't have to wear a mask on the bus yesterday. I mean, if nurses are not wearing face masks, then what's the point? Can't ring as I'm working. I think that there's going to be a bedding, like everything, isn't there going to be a bit of a bedding in period as well, where, you know, the, it's law from this morning, legislation, but it might take a couple of days for that to sink in with people. It's like in the early days. Remember the confusion about, you know, trying to get into a you know supermarket or queuing or you know, staying two meters apart and not approaching the till and all that kind of thing. It might take a while for people to cop on, but from this morning. But again, that's a bus driver who did ask, do you have a face mask? But if she were to say no... What's the bus driver supposed to do then? So there's that and lots more besides. Text 0868 104 Pick up the phone on 1850 104 We'll blast through calls and text after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show.
2: With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie.
1: Pick up the phone on one 104 106 Went into a pub in Cork City at 7pm last Saturday evening. Ordered a pizza and a drink That was at 7pm. I was still there at 11pm. There was no extra food, but there was plenty of drinking. It's just not fair on the pubs that don't serve food. I'm a bit annoyed over this. Love the show. Listen every morning. This thing isn't going away and we've got to learn to live with it. The WHO don't even know what it is, so it's here for a while yet. I suppose to an extent you're not really helping. Thank you for your text and appreciate you listening. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you did stay there, 8, nine, ten for the four hours. Table service for a few weeks and booking ahead or walk-ins, if there's room in pubs, should be the only option. Table service and booking ahead, even for the pubs uh, from next Monday. End of story, Suzanne. Why are the vintners so confused about all this? The rules were broken in the last few weeks in many places. Surely they are not that thick. There's a text coming in then naming various pubs on the south side, which is rather unfair because... Somebody did that about 10 days ago with regards to the harp bar and they were all wrong and it was a very unfair thing that they did. And there's more now talking about being on tour around Southside pubs over the weekend and they're all full and even claiming that there was music in one or two of them, but that could be a rogue text. You never know. But then, of course, there's all sorts of different types of confusion. Um, like, for instance, I do think sport resuming is the worst part of COVID. Training apart is fine, but my daughter has started challenge matches now. The kids have to go to the match in their own car. We're not allowed to carpool with others, but then it's close contact with people while playing a match. Um, And many more like that. The government are incompetent morons. Uh, They're telling Irish people not to travel. When a flight landed at Dublin Airport this morning at 25 to 8 from Dallas, there was over a thousand new cases per day in Dallas. Uh, That flight should not have been allowed to land in Ireland. No wonder our own cases are going up. Uh, And a final one for now. I understand the concerns, but cases will rise with people now who who go out and about. I think we all need to be cautious, but I certainly expect to see an increase in cases. I've just started to go out and into the odd shop for the first time in 17 weeks, but I wear my mask and I can't believe how many people are not wearing masks in shops The staff included. Maybe today could be a line in the sand where we all say that from today onwards, we'll get ourselves a mask. And when we go out indoors to different establishments, whether it's on a bus or a train or a shop or whatever the case may be, that we will wear a mask. Think about that. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. OK, so uh, the airport. Go ahead.
3: The airport. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I go I, I go for a walk daily in the airport with my dog and because I live kind of nearby so it's nice and quiet well it was nice and quiet and um, for the last couple of weeks really um, there's flights coming in with the, there was a, a whole plane of Spaniards came in a few days ago there's French people there are all sorts of nationalities coming in and
1: how, I, how do you I, know that? Do you, do you hear well, them? I
3: walked. Th- I walk through the terminal. I don't go into the terminal, but I walk through the terminal, so I see them and you can hear them. Like, and they're coming out with masks. They're meeting people, and they're all pulling the masks off and hugging and kissing and whatever. But
1: the tourists I mean, are coming out, and yeah. they're hugging the people who are collecting them.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and like there are so many flights going out with people going on holidays with small kids. And I saw yesterday. Now, for instance, South flights coming in with people—a rake of Irish people—got off with the kids who had been away in holidays, obviously. And I thought, God, what was the point in us being? Isolated? And were they
1: hugging the people who picked them up? Oh yes,
3: absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm absolutely shocked every time I see it. It's crazy. Like, what was the point in us being locked down and isolated for weeks and months? And and this is all happening now. You know, I mean, I think I think travel into Ireland should be
1: stopped. Quite frankly. Here's an interesting one for your worth. Now, again, I'm I'm reading it out. I can't stand over it 100%, but uh, I have a friend who works in Cork Airport, Neil, and told us that this is happening over the weekend, or this happened over the weekend, which is unacceptable, and they sent me an attachment. Two flights came in from England yesterday, 150 on each flight. They were connecting to a Malta flight and somewhere else, but they had eight hours to spare when they landed at Cork Airport. Every one of them got on a bus to Kinsale, to get something to eat no quarantine and they were back on the flight a few hours later after possibly infecting the town of Kinsale oh and the only reason they flew into Ireland was to get the flight from Ireland to their destination because Irish flights aren't checked if they flew from England they would have had to self-isolate for 14 days off to Kinsale for a bit of food
3: God. What's happening? Like, I, I don't know where these people are going, but obviously the Irish people maybe are local. I don't know, but obviously the, the French and Spaniards they could have been going on someplace else. Um,
1: but you see, all they're I allowed know. into the country uh, on they the are, understanding they that they're
3: speaking they're like, yeah.
1: Quarantine. There, for there is
3: always us you know, not to leave the country, which which we ha- I hadn't done anyway. Obviously, I cancelled holidays and everything. And, um, like, then you would say, what was the point of all this? Because they're only tracking it backwards and forwards, especially to the UK as well. You That's know, what you're seeing you... anyway?
1: Uh, people from all over the the world coming in oh, and out, the... hugging and greeting oh, people yeah. outside and the town. Actually,
3: I was in Kinsa- uh, not Kinsale and Cove there last week, and the big car park there that, that would have camper vans normally for the summer was... St- Absolutely gemmed with with campervans all UK registered.
1: And I was told at the weekend the very yeah. same. Lots of camper vans in the UK down in your by all accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so I think
3: you know what's the point when we're doing what we can do.
1: Thanks, Mary. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, my eyes advice. and ears out there. Thank you so much. If you've other things to share or things that you've seen, get in touch one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Now, uh, just ahead of my next guest, just a little update here from over the weekend. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't mean to be just doing. Coronavirus and COVID nineteen, blah bitty, blah 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 blah. But we're moving into different phases now. With regards to we can travel, but tourists are coming in. Pubs are open that serve food, but they're not getting you to leave after hundred and five minutes. Uh, others are giving fake receipts, and then of course next week the other pubs are supposed to open and all that kind of thing. But I was looking at some stats at the weekend with regards to how we play out on the international scale and deaths per million in all of the countries in the world. Deaths per million. Ireland, to my understanding, are eighth eighth and that's nothing to be uh, in any way proud of when you look at the deaths per million we've had 354 per million now it does go up to much higher than that like the UKs had 660 and belgium's had 840 things like that but we're eighth in the world and that's not a great number to have and then of course there was all the confusion recently as to what was the accurate death figure even Leo Varadkar at the time was tweeting it's interesting but not a surprise in Ireland we counted all deaths in all settings suspected cases even when no lab test was done and it included people with underlying terminal illness who died uh, with but not from COVID-19. And you remember that stat was given to me last Friday and a caller took me to task saying that my mantra over the previous months has been very much HSE and government led. Now, I don't agree with that. And I don't think that that is an accurate re- referral of what our portrayal of what I've been doing over the last few months. But He's entitled to his opinion. But he did suggest that I should talk to Dr. Marcus De Bruin on the matter to get a more balanced approach, or at least the other side, particularly with regards to statistics that I've just mentioned. And I said that I would do that. And we put a call into Marcus, and he joins me by phone. Marcus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So getting a bit of jip there last week with regards to, you know, peddling out the, the government mantra on this. but uh, So I was interested in getting your perspective. And what I know of you from the recent past, is that you're livid over what went on in nursing homes. Isn't that right?
11: Well yeah I suppose definitely livid I suppose would be a reasonable assessment yes I am very upset about the way that the nursing home residents in Ireland were were treated. Uh, yeah, we've had somewhere between the region of 800 and 1000 deaths depending on who you can believe but um, certainly a, a large proportion of those of those in, 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 in my opinion were down to neglect and, and, and very very faulty guidelines and the absence of being able to provide basic things during the height of the crisis like testing or having uh, hospital patients dumped essentially into the nursing homes without being tested and that sort of thing. So, yes, there was a catastrophe in the nursing home sector. And I think the blame for that is, is fair and square at, at, at the government's feet. Um, and, and interestingly, Mian Martin said on, on uh, Ryan Toberty on the Late Late Show about two weeks ago that there would be no public inquiry, which to me is 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 an absolute mystery that, that the Irish people, that we are essentially swallowing that hook, line and sinker, that there shouldn't be any even degree of investigation into what went on. So yes, livid, I suppose, is a fair assessment there, Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, in the early days, right, we, we, we actually didn't know really a whole lot about this, or certainly lay people didn't, or who it would affect. We didn't know... It would only affect, say, or now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Now that it would only affect the elderly or the sick. We're all we're all students of the R rate now, and we get that. My point is, hindsight and retrospect are a wonderful thing. In in the sense, it's grand to look back now, but we were in a fairly scary place back at the beginning. Do you know what I'm saying?
11: Yeah, oh, oh, look, of course, you know, and, and, and look, that's that's the that's the kind of line that's kind of, you know, frequently, I suppose, followed or put out there that, you know, these deaths couldn't have been avoided or whatever or it happened elsewhere and we were in the midst of a crisis. But, you know, I mean, we got to put that in perspective too. You know, I mean, Ireland was certainly the last country in, in Europe uh, or one of the last countries for the, the virus to arrive. It got here in February and, and it was kind of, you know... Uh, started out in December, so it traveled across europe and and infected most countries and most countries were dealing with the crises before it arrived here and we 've known right from the outset that the deaths um, uh, related to COVID are in the in the over sixty fives. I mean, if you get onto the CSO website, the, you know they publish the data. The CSO are very reliable. There's no conspiracy theorists there, you know. And they publish the, the the stat that ninety two percent of the deaths are over sixty five years of age. You know, ninety two percent. You know, so that's it. That's that, that is the that is where the, the the deaths are. And you know, to say that we didn't know that or or that kind of hit us as a bit of a surprise you know that's that's patently untrue we were certainly well aware government and those responsible for guidelines were certainly well aware that the elderly people were the most you know potentially most vulnerable group and that's that didn't hit anybody by surprise but even of I mean we've 650,000 people in Ireland over the age of 65 but of that group of the 650,000 you know the the those with illnesses the very most vulnerable vulnerable group, which we also knew right from the outset, are those with underlying medical conditions. Yeah. Well, you find all of those. I mean, a Leaving Cert student will tell you where the the very ill or vulnerable elderly people are. They're in the nursing home sector, and we have 25,000 um, people in the nursing home sector. So, you know, it, it was well known, you know, and look, and that's absolutely fine, you know, I mean, even to toe the line or, 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 or propose the argument that it got us by surprise, you know, the thing that went on in the nursing 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 home, like, for example, for three weeks we couldn't test residents in a nursing home if you had one positive case there. When there was a slight suspicion there was going to be a shortage of tests, even testing was pulled out of the nursing home sector to preserve it for the general public, for people who were at relatively zero or low risk, you know, in order for the kind of public relations job that the government was doing not to run out of tests. They pulled the tests away from the nursing home sector, the very most vulnerable group, you know, I mean, and I have a memo from the HSE, you know, instructing us to do that. It's up on my my Twitter page, you know, so they, these are facts. I'm not making anything up,
1: you know. That's no, no I mean, I so, spoke you know, in early days with staff in nursing homes and owners of nursing homes who were, who were big borrowing and stealing masks from painting and painters and decorators back in the early days. I mean, it yeah, was yeah. just, it was horrendous. Could you just, could you walk through... The, the the figure okay because we we we've been given a statistic and, and it's updated regularly of 1,746 total deaths and then somebody somewhere did research into rip.ie and then it was what was found that we were counting all deaths i read somewhere the weekend said that seasonally we had 1200 more deaths than we would have had any other year can you just walk us through that part
11: you know, I suppose, I think it's very, very difficult for most people to get their head around figures, because everybody is kind of, with a particular agenda in mind, is kind of touting a particular interpretation of of the figures, and you know, the fact that we've had a lot of misreporting, and a lot of kind of, you know, I mean, when the government, I suppose, was trying to get everybody to follow very, very stringent guidelines, they had a very, very low definition of what qualified as a COVID death, you know, so, and now it's come out, Leo Bradgar has essentially admitted or or, or asserted that yes, that there was a huge um, or a large number of people who died with COVID as opposed to from COVID were included in the numbers. But I think, you know, the the, the most important thing really... Well, no, but that that is
1: important. That means that it's not 1,746. It's more likely to be somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200, right?
11: look, absolutely, you know, but you know, you made the point there earlier on about this notion of debts per million you know, I mean, that's the consistent kind of HSE figure and kind of you know, almost international figure that people are publishing, but you know, I mean you have to look at COVID and go back to exactly what the CSO and they're completely reliable, what the CSO has said, it's not debts per million, it's debts per number of over 65 year olds in your population, Mm. you know, the CSO has stated categorically that night and in some countries 92 is that we're actually at the lower end other countries are in the region of 98 percent are over 65 so i mean you know, when you're looking at when we're looking at this we have to we can't look at deaths per million i mean if you for example let's have an imaginary country with a million people and let's say you had a virus that 92 percent it killed just black people only and that's a kind of a crude analogy but let's say you had a a, a country that had only 50 black people in it and those all of those 50 black people died of of covid-19 well they would report a death rate of 50 per million now if you had another country that had 500 black people and 200 of those died and they had the same population well they would report a death rate of 200 per million but in the first country you have a 100 percent death and in the second country you only have 50% 50% I know. Yeah. you know, yeah. so this notion of death per million is an absolutely ridiculous statistic and, and, you know, that is the reason that death per million is being used is really to kind of tarnish the Swedish approach, because in my opinion, they have it completely right. Now, if you look at Swedish deaths, the total death in Sweden is in the re- region of 5,400 people. If we take our statistic as through, we've got 1,700 deaths. Now, Sweden has got two million over 65-year-olds. We've got 650,000 over 65-year-olds. So Sweden has three times the number of Over 65, yeah. yeah. And it's got three times the number of deaths. So, and it's the same in the UK. You know, we think we're doing a lot better than the UK. Well, the UK has got 12 million over 65 year olds. They've got roughly 21, 22 times the number of at risk. And they've got 21, 22 times the number of deaths. So, this death per million kind of statistic that's frequently thrown out there is an absolutely ludicrous um, analogy or a ludicrous kind of piece. Of information, And it's being used very, very dangerously because we're being herded down a road that's very, very socially divisive. I mean, you have callers there who are calling, when you're calling you up and that people are complaining about their neighbours and complaining about people. House on parties those people and tourists about, you know. and
1: not wearing masks. Well, what's your take on all of that well, then?
11: Absolutely. But I mean, you know, we've essentially just these guidelines that we're following at the moment, which are, if we take the Swedish approach, the vast, I mean, Sweden are not wearing masks. They haven't shut down their economy to the extent that we have. I mean, we're highly dependent on tourism and small pubs and small businesses. All of these people, all of those families, they've all been shut down. And, you know, the, the argument there, certainly from the Swedish approach, is that the vast majority of, what's going on here is entirely unnecessary and the facts and figures this deaths per million thing and this kind of Sweden bashing you know all of that stuff is being used to kind of push us down a certain road and it's a very very divisive road because remember when we haven't, when we come into the winter season and if there is a resurgence of COVID well you, when the COVID comes back, the people who are, who are kind of angry at the people for not wearing masks and, the, and, and that sort of thing, that divisiveness is only going to get much, much worse. So we have a, a, a huge economic consequence, a huge social divide that's been fostered on the Irish people. And there is a very solid argument out there to say that none of this is necessary. But yet the mainstream media, RTE, nobody is picking this argument up and asking just simply, I mean, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm just saying, let's ask the question here. Is all of this necessary? We've all assumed that it It absolutely is, and we're being fed statistics like death per million and everything. So if
1: it's not necessary, what's the option?
11: Well, the option is is to look at the Swedish approach, is to absolutely look at the Swedish approach, which is a soft-touch approach, which is essentially to protect the vulnerable. I mean, if the CSO are, are not making up their statistics, we've only got in Ireland... 650,000 people over the age of 65. And only a very small number or small percentage of that group are actually vulnerable and at risk. Now, that's a very, very manageable population. In the UK, they've got 12 million over 65-year-olds. So we have a huge strength in Ireland as being an island nation, as having a relatively small population. We could have done as good as the Swedes, and the Swedes are certainly doing much better because there's no social division over there to yeah. the extent, no yeah. massive economic shutdown. Yeah. We've got huge, huge strengths. But the fear in Ireland, the governmental fear is, is that we can't, we're locked into a road where we can't revise because if there's any degree of revision to what's going on, that's going to call into question, well, if we're, if we're revising it, we must have got something wrong. And remember, huge mistakes have happened. A huge number of people died in nursing homes. There's been 100,000. There's been over in the region of 100,000 cervical cancer smear tests cancelled, breast checks cancelled, mm. all because of this road that we're on. And, you know, every year, 5%. Of those tests are abnormal. That's the general kind of figure. So at the minute, there's five thousand women at risk women in Ireland with At-risk undiagnosed, women. undiagnosed. But Hall
1: Martin but has said, the- yeah. I mean, I know, I know that this, there will be chaos with regards, to, and there probably is chaos already with regards to waiting lists and people who are looking for testing in various aspects. But he has said that he told me actually that there, we won't go into a second lockdown if this comes back and maybe it was inevitable it will in the winter because we've learned an awful lot from the first time around, I'm kind of paraphrasing, that we will just then at that stage mind the most precious, the elderly and the amino, immunosuppressed.
11: Yes. Well, he's it's very I mean, politicians are great at kicking the can down the road, you know, and and kind of, you know, saying, well, we're going to do a great job in the future. If that's the case, if there's any semblance of truth, why not do that now? You know, the reason that he's not doing that now, the reason that politicians are not doing that now is because any degree of revision into what's going actually going on in terms of the reality of COVID-19, any degree of revision is going to come with the implicit suggestion that mistakes were made and that is intolerable because of the huge number of deaths and the political consequences of those deaths because if we lived in a country that was had any degree of openness or transparency you know there would be some level of accountability or some level of investigation i mean you know if if two or three people died in ireland because of government incompetence in any other given reality we would be having a a national inquiry but when we're up into several hundreds, of deaths, and no, I mean, Mehamar said, "Categorically, there won't those dead those p- people who have died. They're not even going to be granted the dignity of an inquiry." Now, this is all very, very strange. We people ha- really have to start asking questions. RT is not asking the questions. Mainstream media are not asking the questions, and we have to start asking them ourselves and asking why are Why isn't there a dialogue? Why isn't there a debate? Why aren't we looking at these figures? You know, there is another way to look at these figures. There is another way to actually do things. And it's not a tinfoil hat. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's actually looking at the CSO, looking at the actual numbers themselves, and looking at the, the, real, the, the real numbers. You know, this is not going on. So I, I think we're in a very, very dangerous place in terms of our national psychology, in terms of what's going on. You know, And you have to remember, the crucial point to all of this is if we persist with what the government are saying, and people wearing masks and the social distancing and all of that. There is only one out to what we're doing, and that's a vaccine. So there's no, I mean, there's no kind of notion that if everyone wears masks, we're going to get rid of COVID. We're not. We're just going to keep it down and wait until the vaccine
1: comes. Meanwhile, it seems as if Boris Johnson and the UK have done a complete about turn, haven't they, in the sense that he's now actively encouraging people um, to do your very best possible to get back to work and get the economy kick-started again. They're encouraging people. Everything's open in the UK, incidentally, yeah? Including all of the pubs. Uh, so they're, they're... Oh,
12: absolutely.
1: When you look at the economic consequences here, I mean, you know,
11: you, you drive through any small town and village, behind every little pub that's closed down, behind the, you know, the airlines, all the aircraft grounded, behind... Them. I mean, I, I was in a hotel yesterday celebrating my father's 73rd birthday and, you know, the staff behind the counter had big plastic visors on and masks. There was no cars in the parking lot. The hotel was essentially empty. I mean, these people with, you know, the the Irish society, we are suffering, you know, as a... And you say say there's no need for
1: that. There never was a need for that. You know, again, with the benefit of hindsight, it was about the elderly and the immunosuppressed. Just just another couple of updates, actually, which you're probably well, well aware of the WHO has reported record daily increases in global COVID-19 cases. It hasn't gone away. Deaths are remaining at about 5000 a day across the world. We also know of many different countries and. Cities within countries, you know, whether it's Australia, whether it's uh, New Zealand, we hear of Spanish cities going back into lockdown on a daily basis and and other countries um, reporting the same. But just on one point that you you mentioned with regards to Sweden, I came across a stat that said Sweden has suffered 40% more deaths than the United States, 12 times more deaths than Norway, 7 times more than Finland and 6 times more than Denmark. So, it doesn't seem yep. to me as if the the Swedes have anything to be celebrating about.
11: <laughs> no, but but again, again, that's if you use this notion of deaths per million. You know, it's it's not bad. I mean, as I said, if we had a disease, a virus that hit the world, and ninety two percent of the deaths were yeah, yeah. black or were yeah, Asian. yeah, it's per million, and, and they have they have yeah ethnicity. they have
1: twi- they have ten million, and America has hundreds of millions. Yeah, now I know.
11: Look, absolutely, so, so all of these stats, you really have to ask why are we being fed these statistics when they're in direct contradiction of our own central statistics office, who's come out I mean, what are they doing? Are they just scratching their arses and kind of wasting their time coming up with figures? I mean, that is a fact that, that, that we don't seem as a society to be willing or capable of getting our heads around that 92% of the dead are over 65. I mean I'm not making that up. that's a reality and when you It's not that they're it's system. not that
1: they're disposable but you're you're not saying that of course but what you what you are saying I think is that they should have been minded and even now that should be the model
11: Absolutely. Well, 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 I mean, I'm not saying it. that's that's what the figures are saying. You know, I mean, you know, certainly over 65-year-olds are not disposable. Absolutely not. But as a, I mean, going back to my original point there, we've only 650,000 over 65-year-olds in Ireland, and of that, we've got very uh, a relatively small proportion of highly at-risk people. So, you know, the, the, the notion of, of protecting and the notion of using our own strengths as a nation and evaluating this independently and using the central Statistics Office and using our own strengths and creating our own approach to this, and not even a, a weird and wacky approach, but an approach similar to what the Swedes are doing, we could certainly get rid of an awful lot of economic damage and an awful lot, I mean, my biggest fear really is, 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 is the divisiveness in society. I mean, every talk show around Ireland, you're going to turn on the radio at any time and you'll hear one neighbour giving out about a tourist or giving Correct. out about their own yeah. neighbour. At the moment, it's all Tourists and
1: flights into the country. Where's your head on that?
11: yeah well well look at the uh, at the end of the day, I think that the entire model of what 's going on is doomed to failure because i mean as as Mary or your previous guests correctly said, you know these guidelines not only are they ridiculous and unnecessary in the vast majority of, of, of respects. not only are they ridiculous but they 're entirely uh, fallible and, and useless in many respects you know i mean this is unguided. well they 're impossible unless
1: you quarantine people in Say hotels adjacent to an airport for two weeks, right? Absolutely. So, so you've just said it, then. So you've you're you know you're the tin hat wearer. You've said that the guidelines
11: that what's happening is impossible. So you know if people like me and people who are saying these guidelines are wrong and what we're doing is wrong, you know if people like me are considered as kind of you know wacky loonies and don't get a, a, a voice or there isn't a debate about what's going on, and you're essentially say, saying the same thing. Well, then. You know, is there a possibility at all that maybe you're right and I'm right, and maybe a few other
1: people are right? Oh no, I mean, there's a lot of things that I there's a lot of things that I can see with the benefit of of hindsight now. But I remember a lot, not a yes. lot of fear and panic of the unknown back in the early days. I mean, my opinion yes. of it now is that lockdown and putting the economy into into recession was wrong. But that's only in hindsight, Marcus. Yes
11: yes. And and look, and I accept that too. You know, I would accept that too. I wouldn't accept that the deaths in the nursing home, you know, were were, you know, looking back in hindsight were unavoidable. I wouldn't accept that. that. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But we're not in a situation where we have to keep looking in hindsight. We do have a government that can actually look forward. They could go back to the table and they could say, well, look, what we're doing is wrong. What we're doing is destroying our economy. What we're doing is entirely wrong here. We could adopt it an entirely different workable approach. But what's happening is, is we've got kind of official guidelines that make that sound great and look look well, and make the government look like we're still on the same bloody road. But those guidelines, as you've said, and as I would agree, and I think as as any most sensible people would agree, they're fundamentally unworkable, unimpractical. They're not. They're not really having any. Here. I mean, going into the pub and spending nine euros and staying one hundred and nine minutes. I mean, what
8: the bloody hell has that got to do with COVID?
11: I mean, seriously. Yeah. can any scientist get on and say, "Well, no, there's some science to that." There's no rhyme or reason. So, well, it's because very, you very very can have a meal
1: and, and an awful lot less drink if you were just allowed into a pub and you got drunk. And, you, and although it is happening, and people are hugging and kissing, and <laughs> you know, that's that was the reason well, behind it. Well, yeah, you know, but
11: but is the reasoning is it making any sense? You know, I mean, it's not making any sense. I think to most, say, it, sci- it, there's no sense in terms of in terms of the scientific nature of of those sorts of guidelines. There's no sense in terms of the practical nature of whether it's reducing spread or that or that sort of thing. So, you know, what are these guidelines doing if they're not making any sense? If they're not actually working, then who are they serving? I mean, my argument is is that they're serving the very original argument, The very outset of the argument, they're serving that we can't revise, we can't go back to the drawing board, because if we do, political careers and political accountability will have to be part of the revision. I mean, you know, if you get everything right, then there's no need to revise. But if you start to revise, you must have got something wrong. And if you did get something wrong, there may have to be some accountability. And you're right. I don't say that there should be accountability because, you know, the government responded with the best interests of the people. I think they did respond with the best interests of the people. People, you know, and they did do their best and in many respects got many many things right but unfortunately they got many many things wrong and many many people died and certainly pulling tests out of the nursing homes so that you could provide them to the general public so you don't look bad if there's a shortage of tests this sort of carry on and dumping untested people into the nursing homes the treatment of the elderly was certainly an, a egregious abuse of those people and, and that's and why
1: you're quoted uh, as yeah, saying brain. it was the biggest political blunder in the history of the Irish state.
11: Absolute. Well, I mean, you know, okay. we've got somewhere in the region of 800 to 1,000 people who have died, and those people are not even going to get the benefit of a public inquiry. I mean, that to me is, a, is, that is telling in itself. <laughs> so okay. If people don't pick up on that reality and they do believe that, the, you know, the masks everywhere and the, the, the pub guidelines are all part of some uh, solid scientific plan, if they don't pick up on the fact that Michal Martin has actually categorically stated there'll be no looking into this then you know if, they, if they're not approaching that with a degree of suspicion then I think definitely all is lost when it comes to the court of common sense in but, Ireland but just,
1: just very finally then are, what are you saying with regards to wearing masks on public transport or in shops and places like that
11: well, I, I'm perfectly, perfectly in keeping with what the Central Statistic Office says—that people who are over the age of 65, they're the people who die with COVID, and people who have risks. I mean, my, I, I would encourage my own father is 73 years of age and he's got, you know, some some medical conditions. He's had a heart attack. He's had various things. I would certainly encourage him to wear a mask when he's in confined spaces or or on a bus or that sort of thing. But I, I, in terms of the healthy population, if if we can cultivate, within, and we are because the guidelines aren't working, if we can cultivate a healthy degree of immunity in the healthy population, then by proxy we'll be providing people like my father and people like the vulnerable um, community, will be providing them with, with, with a degree of protection because we won't be potential spreaders. Remember all of these all the, we're, having us, the healthy people who don't need to wear masks is essentially preserving a huge population of potential hosts within the population you know, so, so, so not only do I think that healthy young people wearing masks, not only do I think it's unnecessary but I think it's also quite dangerous because we're preserving a huge number of people in society who are potential spreaders potential hosts so that when winter comes, when the seasonality goes out of it, the benefits that we're getting from prolonged days and sunlight and UV light in the environment the benefits that we're getting from all that they're starting to dry up now and we're coming into shorter days. So, th- and COVID, I still have COVID in my nursing home. I have a resident with COVID. It's still there in the community. So what we're doing is not only economically wrong and socially wrong, but medically and scientifically speaking, it's entirely wrong. And if you want the proof of that, you look at the Swedish numbers, but you can't look at them with this ridiculous approach of per million. Okay. We have to, we have to look at the over 65s.
1: Okay, my friend, it's good to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking the call this morning. <laughs> Dr. Marcus de Thanks
11: for having me. It's refreshing to be able to speak to someone who's, who's willing to have a bit of an open mind on things. That's <laughs> what we're
1: here for. Take care, Marcus. Appreciate you taking the call. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Cheers. Lines care. open on that. one 104 106 we got calls
0: on the way after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. It's indeed, uh, Dr.
1: Marcus actually resigned from the Irish Medical Council because of the mismanagement of the COVID-19 outbreak back in the day. Meanwhile, uh, JP says, last night a group of people from Texas dined in Galway. We have no way of knowing if they just arrived or should have been self-quarantining. The staff in the restaurant were very uncomfortable. We need a decision on this, particularly if people are coming from places with high cases of COVID-19. Uh, as well as that, uh, Kieran says, we've now had 71 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the past 72 hours. And people are wondering why. Well, I can tell you, South Kerry is bananas. It's like August weekend there. Everywhere is packed. There's zero, and I mean zero, social distancing and small shops. I haven't gone near the pubs. It was mayhem in Savine the day the pubs opened. They had music on and everything. Covid is cancelled. Covid is cancelled for the holidays, is it? Says Kieran. Well, I do know with some amount of experience with regards to Karasavine on day one, that there was one or two establishments that uh, really and truly threw all sorts of caution to the wind and guards were called and there was uh, some amounts of mayhem in one or two of the smaller pubs down there, uh, for sure. And then Dr. Sam McConkey now has come out and said that there should be better enforcement of the 14-day travel quarantine. He says particularly we have to be worry about places where people are coming in with high cases. And he said that restrictions, this is what Sam McConkey is saying, restrictions on foreign travel to combat the coronavirus could be necessary for several years. For several years. I'd say Joe is tearing his hair out. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Because that's not the kind of logic that you want to hear about, is it?
10: Well, it, it, it's not, Neil. And I, firstly, I'd like to say it was absolutely fantastic to listen to uh, Dr. Marcus de Bruin because he, talk, he, he talks a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense in what he says. Um, for, I, I suppose the biggest thing for me, Neil, is the fear-mongering and the the, the complete uh, lack of common sense. Common sense has gone out the window. Uh, it seems that we're not we're, we're not able to think for ourselves anymore, um, uh, and it's just it's, it's not the kind of world that I think uh, I, I I want to live in. Or you know, I I, I don't think people are comfortable certain people are comfortable with the, the measures that have been forced on us.
1: Okay. You say that I should move to a communist country because uh, I've lost any common sense that I once had.
10: Well, you know what, Neil? You were always a, a fellow that would question uh, things that, that didn't make sense. You were a voice for the people of Cork for, for many years. And again, the fear-mongering that has been thrown out because of COVID-19. Uh, and one of the things I said in my text the population of Cork, 420,000 people, right? The infection rate for COVID-19 in Cork has been 0.003 of 1%. Of that, 99.7% of the people recover. And for this, we shut our economy down. We have destroyed livelihoods. And most probably for me, we have actually destroyed our way of life. So, uh, Ireland, it, it, our economy relies on tourism. 30% of our economy is is funded by tourism. Uh, when you look at the amount of people that are out of work, the amount of small businesses that have been closed down, uh, people can't go for a drink. They can, I, I don't drink myself, but to, to have the freedom to go out and have a drink after a day's work has been taken away from us. Actually... Most of our choices have been taken away from us during COVID-19. And, you know, uh, Marcus said a couple of things, the tin tinfoil hat club. It's not about being a conspiracy theorist. It's about uh, standing up for my choices, uh, my freedoms. So for me, in, in COVID, during COVID-19, my business was shut down for weeks without, without any uh, consent or without any... I, I didn't have a
1: choice. It but, but it was it was on it was on the belief back in early March. And you are right. You in your in your communication with me, you say it was because Leo Varadkar was telling Ireland that tens of thousands would die,
10: regardless of what we'd done. And that was on March eleventh, two days before we shut down. Uh, I, I found it very troubling, Neil, uh, to the point that I actually sent uh, many of the, the local TDs in Cork emails about uh, closing down our economy. And uh, and I did get a couple of replies and one of the, the replies was that it was only for the weekend. It would be for four days and then everything would, would be reopened again. And as we see now, it was for weeks and months. Mm. Uh, and like I said, it has actually destroyed people's lives. Look at what Marcus De Bruin said about the, the amount of untreated uh, or undiagnosed uh, uh, secondary so uh, um, mammograms, pap, uh, SMAP, uh, pap smears, uh, cancer diagnosis, early de- early detection. They've all been missed, 100,000 people, and he said 5% of that uh, would would go to a, a, an advanced stage, which is 5,000 people, Leo.
1: You're right. No, you're right. and
10: it's. And... that's... That's three times what COVID-19 has claimed. And again, and I did send you in a little video last week of Leo Varadkar saying that uh,
1: they count all deaths as COVID-19. That sure, uh, it's well, I, I did address that again this morning in quite some detail, though, didn't I? I mean, you we did,
10: went, in yeah. fairness to you did. Yeah. But even the thousands on the streets knew that something wasn't right. And uh, uh, as Marcus said, if our government just admitted that, uh, th- that the approach they had taken was wrong, and that, that that they would actually speed things up, they'd be held accountable then, and they don't want to be held accountable. The figure, the figure is considerably
1: lower based on the CSO, and even looking at RIP.ie, and you might be interested to know, it's a very strong article at the front of the Echo this morning, where they quote, quote an executive clinical director at Cork Mental Health Services saying that there is a big increase now, a twenty percent hike in the in the demand uh, for a psychiatric and mental health. Intervention as a consequence of COVID nineteen, and just bear with me because I need to get the wording right on this. It has it has led to uh, mood disorder and um, a, fe- a morbid fear of developing COVID and the consequences of that to people's mental health.
10: Absolutely and totally unjustified, Neil. So you don't quarantine healthy people; you quarantine the sick. But during lockdown, everybody was told you can't go two kilometres from your home. You can't go. You can't get fresh air. You can't get vitamin D. Actually, we were being told and social media was pushing. Unless you were following the narrative to the letter, if you were saying that uh, take vitamin D, vitamin D zinc, uh, magnesium, get some exercise, get some fresh air, get out and take a walk. Uh, that wasn't good enough, or that wasn't acceptable practice.
1: Because that's not easy. everybody, you see, but not everybody, but could have been trusted to use common sense or cop on, as I call it.
10: Well, Neil, I'll tell you something. Now. you know what? We look at the, the travel that's been coming into Ireland, and it's only focus. The big focus has been on it in the last few days, the last week, maybe. But that travel has been going on all through. Uh, lockdown. There were there were ferries and there were planes coming into Ireland uh, all throughout lockdown. So we were being told to do one thing. And and again, you know, I'm not trying to start things up, but if you look at what Keelings done of the country, they brought in foreign seasonal workers to save the strawberries, but Irish people's lives and livelihoods were were not important because we weren't essential. But we're who, who's not essential? Who who has the right to tell anybody else? That their family or their livelihood, or them providing for their children, is not essential. That's absolutely crazy, Dale, And that is uh, that is uh, a communist country. That's it. That, So uh, I, I did mention in my text about 1984, right? Where you the kept, George Orwell uh, movie, or sorry, George, George, George Orwell book? Yeah. Like we're, we're we're going into an, an Orwellian uh, state where we're not allowed to make our own decisions, and next we won't be able to think for ourselves because our thinking will be incorrect. And I have a serious problem with that, Neil, because I like the way I think. A lot of people might not. A lot of people might think I'm crazy. Actually, a lot of my friends thought I was going crazy during um, during the lockdown because I was so verbal on my social media. Uh, but I, I, I'm actually, I've never been in, in a sounder state of mind. Uh, we need human interaction. We are social beings. But were you saying yeah. that the first
1: week in March? Yes, I was
10: actually Neil, and if you go onto my Facebook okay. page you'll see it, yeah, okay. I was, uh, and I was worried about the police there that that was developing and our choices being taken away. And actually, my my choice to be able to go to operate my business and provide for my kids being taken away, I had a big problem with that. Yeah, some people don't have common sense, Neil, but you know what? We are still living in a a a, 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 a republic where we have the right
1: choose what's best for our family. Okay. Do you wear a mask? Do you wear a mask in public or anything like that?
10: No, Neil, uh, I I wouldn't wear a mask because I need to breathe in oxygen. And if I'm wearing a mask, I'm I'm restricting the amount of oxygen that I'm getting. And Uh, is your business
1: back open again?
10: It it is, and it's been open for the last uh, uh, five, six, seven weeks, six weeks maybe. Uh, And yeah, we we have been making up for some of the ground that we lost. But Neil... um, I'm one of the lucky ones. There are many small businesses that will never again open. Uh, it was unnecessary. Um, the measures that were taken were were they weren't thought out. Look, uh, China was the first country to go into lockdown. They're a communist country. We followed their lead. Uh, we ended up buying PPE from the con- uh, from, from China, and most of it wasn't fit for purpose. Two hundred fifty,
1: 50 million I uh, euro. I know that, before, and that was in the first couple of weeks, Neil. Listen, uh, I'm going to get a call in before eleven o'clock, but I'm, I'm I hope you're happy with your contribution. Are you okay with that?
10: Yeah, thanks very much indeed. Ma- S-
1: stay ma- in ma- touch ma- though, and and do okay. text me and stay in touch with me. One 106 Thanks, Joe. Back after these.
0: This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106, Red FM. Bia says, uh, I don't believe a word from those
1: that tell us the case numbers. Those people admitted the other day that they had put COVID-19 on all death certificates, regardless of whether people died from a car crash or cancer. The main problem now is that there's been five months long of bombardment from the media and the HSE, scaremongering and fearmongering. There are now way too many people. We're now scared out of their wits. We have a virus with a 99% recovery rate. People need to cop on and live their lives. Mabel says, get a grip, folks. Be careful. Lives are at risk. Maybe not your own, but life, but another family member you're in contact with. And Sandy says, there is murder over large groups that have parties. Uh, particularly a big one back in Killarney because some of them tested positive for COVID-19. Elaine was at her nearest shopping centre on Friday. It was a joke. The staff on the tills are behind a screen, but the shop floor staff have nothing for them. Um, this was happening in every shop I was in. Don't know what you mean by this. Oh, the, sh- oh, the staff on the floor moving around I have nothing for them. What, what is kind of weird in, in spite of whether you think that there's been an, a huge overreaction or not is that if you go into some of the bigger supermarkets, they still have the salad bars open and uncovered. Um, and it involves picking up a spoon. And there was one that I saw recently had the same spoon, just the one of them, for all of the different salad sections that I would use or you would use after and so on and so forth. And I would have thought that would have been knocked on the head a long time ago. Um, Just another few... Yeah, There's some audio of passengers getting off from various buses on Patrick Street. Let's have a look at that. Where is it there? No, I don't have it on a hotkey just yet. So Seamus is out and about uh, checking in on buses and I want to see how he gets on after 11 this morning. And also, just a quick chat with you guys obviously, but also with Dermot O'Leary of the NBRU to say to find out what is the deal when it comes to uh, buses, bus drivers and who's actually policing and who is enforcing this new legislation from this morning, uh, whereby if you didn't know it, you have to wear a a mask now on public transport Uh, if you don't, it's a €2,500 fine um, and uh, if that's not paid, uh, then it's a six month jail sentence, that's the legislation Totally unenforceable, I would imagine.
0: Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 86 Red FM. Rest
1: in peace, big Jack, a legend to us all. Thank you for all the great memories, says Sean. And Eilish text to say, ah, it's so sad. I had my daughter during Italian 90. I will never forget it. I couldn't wait to get out of hospital to watch the matches with Ireland playing. What memories, what excitement. God bless Jack. Thanks for the memories. Mick says, rest in peace, big man. He stopped the country from moving in 1990. when Ireland played great days and a great man. I met him once in a petrol station in Cork. What a gent he was. Sean calls him a legend. God, he gave us some crack. Rest in peace, Jack. Thanks for the memories. A true legend and a true hero, says Brie, Helen and Breda. And so say all of us.
0: 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show.
1: Okay, um, Alexis, well, I don't understand all of these different texts. There was one earlier on about people going to Malta and stuff like that out of the UK. Another one here says, I'm working in the airport and passengers who are coming in from Stansted at 10 o'clock are flying out to Naples and then flying to Alicante at 1 o'clock. They're flying um, from the UK to Ireland and then to their sun destination and then they're flying back to Cork uh, before heading back to the UK to avoid the two-week quarantine. They are milking the system. What I, like, I'm a little bit confused because the countries that they're flying to, certainly Spain and to the best of my knowledge Italy, they're on the green list of countries that people from the UK can travel to without having to go into quarantine. So I think what it was, was they were milking the system up until recently when they were booking flights to go out of Ireland when there was no green list of countries in the UK. Wouldn't that make sense? So like, that will change now, I imagine, because they can just go on their holidays now uh, because they have a list of uh, countries they can travel to, unlike us. And it doesn't look like we'll have that any day soon. I drove from Car Savine to Kenmare the other, the other day to work. I've never seen the beaches or the roads as busy. The pubs were full, the restaurants were full and the shops were busy. There was very few people wearing masks. Now, there's nothing wrong with the beaches being busy if everybody is adhering to physical distancing and the things that you have. You see people posting photographs and they're out and about in nature with bunches of friends and all huddled together for group photos. <laughs> Make me laugh. Uh, the pubs are full. Well, the pubs could be full, full to their capacity with restrictions inside them. So that could well be all right too. But if if the pubs are full with people, you know, swinging off each other and no distancing, that makes it a completely different scenario. Everyone's talking about the Americans and the British people coming over here, but when you have people from counties like Dublin travelling to places like Kerry, where there where there had not been any cases from a bigger county where there were lots. That's where there could be a problem. The government uh, should close the airports, enforce the 14-day isolation when people arrive, or we'll be back to square one in no time. And where would you put them? Like, uh, would you take over hotels, or, like, what would you do? I mean, I know other countries did that. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Sorry I didn't get you before 11. Happy to talk, though. You wanted to pick up on Marcus de Bruyne as well as other things, wasn't
6: it? Oh, and your previous caller, he took the words out of my mouth, to be honest. Um... Yeah, we're living in a draconian state now um, it's still as I say not as I do, I mean Fianna Fáil, the date so far, has proven that the Barry Cowan saga which it is, is turning into now at the moment and uh, along with the measures that they're taking, it's not feasible, uh, that Dr Marcus de Bruin, he speaks a lot of sense he's willing to ask the questions that the government wants to ask because they, there is no accountability, the Barry Cowan saga proves so the, i mean it sends the message the mantra is out there we don't want to be accountable for anything but we will tell you what to do i mean to bring in thousands of uh, tourists from other countries that are uh, have high levels of infection i i
0: i don't so know little, i don't it know, it know what make
1: sense. yeah do you, you say that the border should be closed or we should all be allowed to go wherever we want which no uh, well i think we should be you know i
6: just think that marcus de brown speaks a lot of sense there are there, are, there should be questions about that the uh, uh, as to what other measures can be taken that w- are workable. He's you know, saying people, that it's... Or, or it's Ireland are, Irish people are being sold out anyway. We were sold out to Europe a long time ago under Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. And this is just a continuation of the, the same, effectively. You know, I mean, there, there's no debate. There's no question being asked. as to like, can we, you know, operate in, uh, under other measures? Can we take other... You know, it doesn't make sense, you know, put it this way, you know. Because he says we're the,
1: too far down the rabbit hole for them to back out now.
6: There's no there's no it's king of the hill politics. There's no accountability, you know. It's not, there's no leaders anymore, you know. Mihal Martin's there because he wants to fulfil that role. He doesn't want to be the first Phenophile leader and not to become Taoiseach. You know, he just wants to become Taoiseach and get on with us and, and sell us out and with the rest of them, that's the fact. I mean, if the people don't see that, it, it, it's, you're either blind or... They, stick to, they, t-
1: they I, tend to be sticking to the same mantra. Here's a clip. Just hold on. I'll come back to you. This is the health minister, Stephen Donnelly. He was taken to task, actually, by a Virgin Media News reporter over yeah. the weekend. Have a listen to this
4: by asking you, I suppose, a lot of concern from people about the number of American tourists who are in the country over this weekend, a lot of sightings and um, popular holiday destinations. People feeling like they cancelled their foreign trips, they lost their own money for their holidays, and yet they're meeting tourists coming into the country. What do you say to those people?
11: First thing I want to do is reiterate the public health advice, which is unambiguous, which is that anybody coming into this country should self-isolate for two full weeks. And that applies to everybody. Public devices that there should be no foreign travel from the country and back in except for essential trips. I think people are quite rightly saying uh, we are in this together. A lot of people have cancelled their holidays uh, at great expense. People who booked holidays maybe a year ago, people who have been waiting for a very long time to, to get away, to get away from work, to get away with the kids. Uh, it is incumbent upon us all uh, to make sure that everyone coming into this country understands the public guidance.
1: So he doesn't answer the questions.
6: you notice that? No, he, he, no, no, like, no, he, he doesn't answer the question and can just, for, just, just to add to that right, um, okay so for the Irish people if to watch I know he's not answering the question he's great, well, he's great you know He, he says, that, him, he says they're following
1: health advice, so the government is saying yeah. we're getting it from the medics, he's saying we're all in this together, he's saying that it's yeah. incumbent on people to follow the guidelines when they come into the country, which they're not so They're not. Like... And do you listen to the language being use? They should.
6: should. So yeah. There is no law. You know, are they going to arrest an American tourist when they arrive here if they haven't quarantined 14 days? Are they going to give them a €2,500 fine for not wearing a mask on public transport uh, or a possible 6 months imprisonment? Mm. I mean, it's almost analogous to the draconian measures that they put on uh, drivers and cyclists. If you drive uh, within, or uh, is it within one or one and a half metres of a cyclist, Or uh, if you drive within that distance or too close to them, like you're breaking the line. All right, well, that's... So, course, it's just crap, as what it is. Okay, okay. And, then, you know, the people are being sold out for it, and this...
1: Okay, let me, um, let me just move, let me just move on, if you don't mind, Seamus, but appreciate your contribution. I mentioned earlier on that this morning saw, uh, new legislation where you will, as a commuter on a bus, for instance, I imagine a train as well, you risk a two and a half thousand euro fine or six months in jail for not wearing a mask on public transport from today. I'll talk again to Seamus Whelan, who's been out and about jumping buses this morning. Bear in mind now, a bus driver was killed in France, uh, uh, over the wearing of a mask. It was a, and R.G. Bargy developed with some fellow who gave him jip and took his life. And I'm saying this is unenforceable. And I don't believe for a moment that a bus driver should be enforcing this kind of a law. That's not their job. Let's see what the NBRU have to say on the matter. Dermot O'Leary is the governor there. Dermot, good morning. Nice talking again? Morning. You in. OK, so what is what is the deal? What instruction has Bus Aaron given to drivers? And what instruction has their union given to drivers?
13: Well, first of all, we don't issue instructions as you, as you well know. We give advice, and the strong advice we've given our members is not to put themselves in a situation where they're expected to police and enforce this law, as you put it. Uh, it only came in over the weekend, despite us calling for this for many, many months now at this stage. And I suppose the centre of, of our issue here, uh, or central to our issue, need is the fact that nobody consults with the, with the bus driver, even though the bus driver uh, and the railway worker are the experts in, in, in public transport. One would have thought. So yes, and you're right to mention that unfortunate uh, French bus driver, which which is an extremities but it does demonstrate and highlight quite clearly what can happen here. So again the laws is introduced with no consultation with the people uh, on the front line and again the Guardian fairness and I'm in touch with the Guardian on a regular basis the representative body and I and Cunningham was on national radio this morning yeah. outlined the fact that her members uh, were not responsible either and they're not because they're not written into the law and again the funny thing I suppose uh, funny being the I suppose not the absolute world really the sponsoring minister here is the minister for health not the minister for justice and again I suppose subtle as that may be for some people That means that the offence is not deemed a public order offence, so the guards don't have a direct role.
1: But the Department of Transport has said in circumstances where a non compliant passenger, without reasonable excuse, fails to accept the refusal or comply with the relevant person's request, members of Angarda Shikana may be called to assist. Does that mean the bus driver calls the guards?
13: Well, again, look, again, again, there's a subtlety here. So it is an altercation on the bus, for example. Between two people, one wearing a mask and one not, and that develops into a public order offence. Then the driver will ring in central control, who probably would ring the gallery. That then becomes a public order offence. But in the in the in the way that I mean, the transport I suppose, the department I suppose, typical Mandarin speak speaker course they give you all the language in the world. Uh, they can't back it up with practical demonstrations of how this actually works and lies the problem. Uh, again, we have some bus drivers and railway personnel who will put themselves in a situation where they are trying to enforce this. That's human nature, Neil, but that's wrong as well because that puts pressure on people, uh, depending on their, for example, you have people who join bus companies and rail companies who are relatively new to the, to the scene and might find themselves under a bit of pressure to, to, to enforce it. But that's no, way, that's no way to run the country, that's no way to run the uh, judicial system. Oh, I know,
1: that's why I'm trying to get through the grey area here. Like So, if there's an altercation between a passenger and another passenger, where one is wearing a mask and the other isn't, then that could lead to an issue where the guard or the bus driver has to call central control they'll call the guard but will will a bus driver refuse will he ask somebody getting on board why you don't have a mask or, Again, she, or yeah, she for yeah, that matter.
13: Yeah you asked me a question I didn't answer forgive me. In relation to bus aaron there is no instruction that the bus driver should put himself in that situation. Quite the contrary in fact the advice from bus aaron is that they should not put themselves in that situation. So as at least bus i have been very clear and concise on that. Again of course the language used in their communication would be encouraged remind And look that's soft language that's okay in the general run of the mill but when it comes to uh, a situation where people uh, pig-headedly as a warrant refuse to wear face coverings, bus drivers uh, in the example you mentioned, shouldn't put themselves
1: in that situation. Okay, because that's not their job, really. Sure, it's not. I mean, that's not. No, sir, look, I
13: mean, the, the job is onerous enough. And look, and the, the, look, there's, there's lots of quirks, and, and you know, I suppose nuances around the, the bus driver role. And again, the people complaining, for example, the people with fares and no fares with this issue. And again, just to, just to, in case people take that home, oh, sure, a bus driver wouldn't let me on without a fare. Uh, peculiarly enough, Neil. The law in relation to fares puts the onus on the passenger, not the driver. And you and I, I suppose, are long, long enough to remember getting a number two bus, and I can remember number one <laughs> bus because I day the right. bus conductor on board, the bus right. conductor on board taking off fares. But when the bus conductor disappeared, the owner then shifted to passenger So technically, a bus driver doesn't ha- have to challenge someone for road a fare. Now, that's not suggesting that people should travel around Cork City or its environs for free anytime soon. But yeah, I, I, there's a sudden, again, that it's
1: a No, I understand. Off- it's about yeah. common sense, as always. But, but where are you at then with regard? I mean, do you support people wearing masks on buses? And that includes drivers, incidentally?
2: Well,
13: we've been calling since the 1st of May, in fact, uh, for face coverings. And the reason we did that is that we want to encourage people to use public transport, those that used it before and those who never used it. And again, look, there are capacity issues and they'll remain for a while. But by and large, we want people to use public transport instead of their private motor car. Funny enough, the law, as it's written, and again, in relation to bus drivers, bus drivers are, by and large, again, with few exceptions, are behind perspex screens. And if you walk into a shop tomorrow morning, about your newspaper or, or whatever you see uh, in lots of cases, the person behind the, car, the yeah. perfect screen, if you like. Yeah. So the owners, and they must not to wear a mask. But bus drivers, when they're interacting directly with customers, are supposed to wear a face mask, and they do. In fairness to them, but as they drive the buses, they're not obliged. Even in this new law, they're not obliged. That's
1: because we're uh, yeah, and that's the reason we're hearing this morning of some bus drivers behind the perspex not wearing a mask, is it?
13: That's correct, that's correct. And again, look, I understand why members of the public would put in, you know, focus on, what. Sure, if he's not wearing them, why am why, I not wearing But He's behind the screen, you see. And if he, if he comes over as boss, he's supposed to that's wear them. It. Back, and yeah.
1: That's it, that's, okay. that's so, so where we're at now is a €2,500 fine or six months in jail that is totally unenforceable.
13: It is. No, but the only thing I'll say to you, and I said this, I suppose, yesterday and today, across media platforms, that there's no change about publicity, as you well know, by and large. And, and again, the evidence this morning, albeit anecdotal, is that people are starting to wear them now. So maybe the pressure coming from the publicity around it, uh, and shows like yourself, uh, public service I
1: think at its best one hopes. Thank you so much for taking the call, Dermot. As always, always at the end of the line, Dermot O'Leary the NBRU, proud Corkman himself. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. So Seamus Whelan's been out and about this morning, uh, and I'll talk some more about it with him, but he has been feeding back some audio. There's some passengers getting on and off various buses in and around Patrick Street. It, it seems as if, say, on Patrick Street after 9 o'clock, everything kind of calms down bus-wise. Everybody needs the buses earlier on. So it's busy in the early couple of hours, uh, but Patrick Street gets much quieter after nine, so here's some audio from him just fed back.
14: I got it's only the second time I took a bus in the last three months, the last week. There's five people downstairs, six people, five of us had my face masks. One
8: elderly man didn't have it, but everyone has them today, yeah. It's a no brainer, isn't it? The see, is meant to read now this morning, and there was an awful lot of people out there wearing face masks, you know what I mean? So I, do, I like, I think during the course of the day, if you were on the transport regularly, during the course of the day, you're sitting, You might see some people wearing, wearing face masks, You know what I mean? Um, well,
12: there was only a couple of people on the bus this morning because I came in early. So, but most mostly people are putting their masks on, and the drivers are asking people as well to put their masks on. So that's very good. There was a few on the bus. They able to go and wearing them okay. like.
10: So I don't know what's going
13: to happen there. You know.
14: Well, one man sat down and put it on him when he got on the bus, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know, whether it's up to the bus driver or up to the, uh,
4: yourself, like I said. The individual themselves, like, they should know. They should know better. There was, there was, everybody was wearing a mask. They've been told to wear a mask. I feel under threat by the fact they're wearing a mask. Because okay. we're living in a dictatorship. You can see that, like, we've been told to wear a mask. It's, it's the law. Or are they just advising us? Now, I read this morning in the newspaper, it's 2,500 euro fine, but there's nobody there to police it. But it's scaring the people. They're
0: ruling with fear. We've had terrorism for years. And now we've been terrorised by our own government. Talk to Neil Printerville now. Eighteen fifty-one oh four one oh six Red FM. So here's
1: my understanding of it, and I'm open to correction or clarification on this. I'd say people in the UK were using Cork Airport and Dublin Airport recently, up until they had their list of countries to where they could travel to piggyback through Cork to go on to some destinations and what have you. I think that that's probably going to change now because they can go directly, and that's where we're hearing about countries like uh, Malta or Spain or Italy, where they were going to the holidays but using Cork Airport. And then they had stopovers here in Cork and some of them legged it down to Kinsale for a while. Um, Cork Airport really are saying much like to an extent the situation that boss Aaron find themselves in with their hands tied because they're not a police agency, either of them. Cork Airport has no role in the uh, public health passenger locator form. Uh, restricting movements etc cetera, etc cetera, you know with regards to physical distancing is, is is the protocol for all of us but they did say because I asked them for a statement this morning as to what's going on it's quite vague but they remind me of one or two things they say the passenger numbers are down 95% when you compare it to this time last year and they're down 2 million passengers compared to what they were originally forecasting for 2020 this is Cork Airport down 2 million I hope it can survive this. But they say the government has made it mandatory for all arriving passengers into Irish airports and ports to fill in a public health passenger locator form and asked to restrict their movements for fourteen days. The form must be handed in to members of Ungardi Shukana at passport control in the airport. Cork Airport has no role in this process. Can you can you not do that, I wonder? I mean, do you have to pass through Ungardi Shukana passport control? Well, you do, don't you? Because you, they're in front of you when you're trying to get into the airport. So imagine that form is filled in before you approach um Garda-Chukana passport control and you have to give them the form. Now, following up on that as to the address you give them, tourists, or, you know, the phone numbers you give them, that's a completely vague area because you don't know. You're taking people's word for it. And even those that do give legitimate places, how many of them get calls? You know? So it's it's all rather vague but anyway the answer to my question was uh, that uh, Cork Airport has nothing to do with this process it has to do with Angardia Corner at Passport Control. All right, so uh, Patrick says, Killarney's mental, muckrous, torque, waterfall. So busy you can hardly drive on the roads. So both sides are packed with cars. It's crazy. There's so many tourists with the English reg cars and there's so many as well from Dublin and all over the place. The hotels and B&Bs are full. It's mad. Well, I can tell you that South Kerry has car regs from all over Ireland now, but the vast majority of voices that I've been hearing down around the area are Irish. Now, I've heard... English accents, I've seen groups there. Spanish as well, Italians. Um, No Americans, though, I have to say. None, not that I came across uh, over the weekend. But the vast majority of them are Irish redges. But you do see an uncomfortable amount of yellow redges. I'd love to know how many of the new cases were from holidaymakers. I'd say at least two-thirds of them. The government has to put something in place to stop holidaymakers coming here, or we'll be back to square one. I live in the UK I haven't been to a pub yet and I have no interest in going to one either. You see the video footage coming out of Nice at the weekend. Aiden says, I was in Killarney at the weekend. Absolutely packed. I didn't even stay an hour there. Um, John says, I'm going to carry for the last 40 years. It has never been so busy. Drove through Cork City at the weekend. It was packed. There was no social distancing whatsoever. I think I'd be safer on a plane, says she. And Mags says, as a frontline worker, all this carry-on with places being packed just annoys me. People would want to cop on. Billy says, the second the sun comes out here, people's brains get frazzled. Well, they're desperate for a bit of sunshine and a bit of the outdoors. And to keep those coming, text 86 Pick up the phone on one I did promise that I would recap and check in again with Martin. I got lots of communication from people who heard my conversation with Martin on the program on Friday. And a selection of those. Include Keen, who says, "Listening to Martin speak absolutely broke my heart because I know exactly how he feels." I suffer from depression. I also tried taking my own life twice in the past. I was homeless. I lost everything. I had nobody around at the time. At the age of twenty-four, I'm twenty-nine now, and I have my own home. I'm in a great relationship. I have a very good job, and I feel great. Sometimes I still get down. But I know Martin will be okay. He just needs that little nudge back to normality. And I believe he will get there again. If you read this out, please tell him, I said, to keep his head up. And if he needs to chat at any time to a non-judgmental person, feel free to pass on my number to him. Another one, listening... Um, to your conversation with Martin from Melbourne, Australia. My heart goes out to Martin, who was just on the air. He sounds like a lovely man. It's heartbreaking to hear anyone in such pain. You are right, Neil. We all have regrets about our past. It's what we do now that matters. Martin has has the strength to get this far. It will feel worse before it gets better, but it will get better once he feels more and more in control of his life. Many people, from what I'm hearing, clearly love you, Martin. Stay strong, mate. And Lillian then talks about uh, issues in her life. Looking back is fueling your suffering and giving your power away to something that's gone, the past. Things that cause you shame from the past can be the transforming power to change your future. Blessings to you, Martin. As a culture, we need to recognize that we have so much to offer as we are deeply, deeply creative, loving people, all of us, who are trying to find our way to the light. That's beautifully put, uh, Lillian, and thank you for it. That's just a selection. I mean, I have reams of these, and I haven't even looked at the amount of texts. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I mean, you should feel good about the amount of people who are rooting for you, pal. Yeah,
12: it's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's... uh... Um, yeah, it's, it's, a very, it's very touching I can very, send them all on to you if you want
1: I mean I can send you every single text and email and I'm sure that it might in some way give you some strength and some power. How is the weekend for you since we spoke?
12: Yeah, yeah, the, the weekend has been good I just said I came up to the city on Friday and um, I spent some time with my family all, all over the weekend calling to my aunts and uncles and friends and stuff and um, I've in the process, I found a new place to live. It's very near the city, so it's closer to home. So I'll be kind of moving there in the next few days.
1: Um, the job is is still going to happen next week? Yeah, yeah well, I've been, I
12: was speaking to my uh, employer that I was working with for the past three years. I was speaking to him yesterday. I was giving him a ring today to, um, to get back with him, to get back working with him. Good.
1: That's so, important, yeah. that's good and and the offer of, you know, I know that Ex- Exceed Fitness, uh, we're talking about you know, wanting to help you out you know, sometimes getting into the gym running, exercise gets the old dopamine going the adrenaline going, are you going to do that?
12: Yeah, yeah, I was speaking to um, one of the, the girls out there this morning, she's going to ring me back later on for a consolation so, um, yeah I'm going to look forward to doing that and I'm going heading to... Um the Eccles Hotel tomorrow at three o'clock. Then as well. Then you're going for a spa, you? Yeah? A spa day, yeah. I think a massage and jacuzzi and
1: sauna. I think, yeah. Oh my God, I can see a smile on your face there, and that's great to hear. So, <laughs> yeah. new accommodation closer to home. Moving soon. Finishing up down west. Not before a spa day at the Eccles. Now, didn't we we spoke as well about Timmy Long on Friday, didn't we?
12: Yeah, we did indeed. I I had um I had a great chat with Timmy um on Friday, along after the show.
1: And um, what do you say what do you say to you like? Did he give you any bit of advice or whatever?
12: Yeah, he gave me great advice. You know, I, he he put me on to um this doctor on the internet there, he does meditation and he deals with mental health and I've been doing meditation all weekend um because of Timmy because Timmy has Showed me that kind of that kind of way because it worked for Timmy along the air. So I think I'll be meeting up with Timmy during the week anyway for a cup of coffee and a chat. So,
1: so
0: do you feel do you
12: feel job. a lot
1: more optimistic? Do you feel that there's a bit of hope there?
12: Yeah, I feel a lot better since I, I've um, since I spoke up. You know, and that everybody out there that knows and that everybody out there that is, is, that is suffering from mental health issues that it is it is it does feel great to talk up. And I feel a lot better than I I have been in the past six months. That's good.
1: That's good. And hopefully every day forward now you get that little bit stronger, you know. And I just want
12: to thank yourself and Brenda. And Red FM, like you've been absolutely amazing to me over the past number of days. And I really, really really do appreciate it.
1: Not at all. I understand how fragile life can be, you know. And every every life is worth making an extra effort for. And yours included. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hold on there a second. Don't go anywhere because we also were in touch last week with Timmy Long. Now, Timmy has um, a super podcast with uh, with James Leonard Are you following that? The two Norris Yeah. Naris. Yeah. Yeah. It's outstanding. It's brilliant. Because they're so open and they're so honest about it. Anyway, Timmy. Good morning. Good morning, you Appreciate you talking to Martin, pal. I'd say um, you'd have words of advice to him, having been through the mill yourself from a very young age, right? Yeah.
14: Yeah. Um,
1: I- it's
14: yeah. It's sad just to. You know, to share people's stories, particularly around mental health, because, um, as you know, like, my own family suffered a lot with mental health issues all along through years, you know, and my mother particularly, and my brothers with addictions and mental health problems, so, yeah.
1: Uh, you lost your mum, didn't you?
14: Yeah, yeah, we we lost my mother to suicide back in 2000 and, uh, 2012.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I'm very, very sad to hear that. Listen, just just in case you're worried, I'm not going to go through any of the aspects that involve the guards or crime, all right? Because that's in your past and, and you've paid for that. Mm-hmm. So you can relax there. I'm not going to be quoting chapter and verse on the things you did. Are you all right there?
14: Yeah, I am good.
1: Okay, yeah. okay. But, I mean, it, you ended up in treatment at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. You ended up going to yeah. a treatment center in France. You started drinking a what Was it 15 or something? Was it younger? Probably younger, I'd say,
14: and we really started off with solvents, uh, when we were in primary school. You know, typical kind of tip-tacks, you know, and gas and nail varnish and all these different things, and it was just, there you know, were tough times back then, and I suppose when you're, for any young person, they're gonna try anything to kind of take them away from whatever's going on in their life, you know.
1: Available and yeah. and your buddies yeah. were doing it, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. How long ago is that? I mean, that, how old are you now? I'm 39 now, you know, so we're talking probably 27 years ago. Okay, and would you say that things are any better? Because I'm inclined to think that they're, they're an awful lot worse now.
14: Um, I don't know, Neil. It depends on how you look at it, really. Um, I think things are more ready, ready, they're available, easier than what they were back then. You know, um, but it's definitely happening. You know, if there's a lot of young people out there doing what they can to to escape whatever's going on. At and home it's, and, and you think that a
1: lot of the time it's pain for whatever's happening in their lives, or their home, or their upbringing, yeah. or their parenting, do you?
14: Well, I just want to get the straight. Like, I don't think there's anyone really to blame. You know, it's very easy to point a finger and say, this parent is to blame for that, or, you know, um, it's just it's just the way it is, it's just a hand you're dealt really, you know. Um you know, like when I look back at my own life and I look at my mother, my mother was very, very, very unwell. You know, she was she had a nervous breakdown when when I was probably three or four years of age and she suffered really, really she suffered for the rest of her life until her death really. She just was constantly in her head. You know, um That's true. But yeah it's just it's they just, hand. I, uh, my belief is that they just don't know how to deal with whatever emotional stuff is going on from you know.
1: It's the hand you're dealt, never a truer word. Yeah. Just looking yeah. at just looking at some of your bio, for want of a better term, um, you obviously did time for for different things, and while in, while in prison, mm-hmm. um, you learned to read and write for the first time. In prison, you did your junior, sir. How old were you? Um I was 30, I think I was 34 when I started. So you were 34 when you learned the alphabet? Mm-hmm.
14: I was, yeah, around that, maybe, maybe. I went to the prison when I was 32. When I started, when I was about 33, I'd say I need, So I learned the, the alphabet while I was in there. I learned learn the, the month, of the year.
1: How did you That's survive 30 years without being able to read or write? Um, well, I could...
14: Understand the basics, you know. I never felt there was an application form or anything like that in my lifetime. I always had to get someone else to do it, and um, but there, there wasn't many application forms to, to, to fill out either. When I look back, <sighs> I know, you know, I know, probably a medical care or, I know. or probably um a job seeker's form or something
1: like that, you know. Somebody else did that for you though,
14: yeah. Yeah, I would have got the help like a. I wouldn't have known what a PPS number was... Oh, there. I
1: know that, but you uh, wouldn't I have been able to write be your be name either, more important. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have been able to write your name, never mind your PPS number.
14: Yeah, I would have been able to write my name in bits and pieces. You yeah. know, I remember when I was in France, I found the letter there um, when I was going through my mother's um, stuff when we came out of prison. Because she died while we were in prison. And um, when we came out, some of my family members had some of... Just memorabilia and things like that. Uh, and I found a letter that I was after, well, trying to write w- when I was in France. And, you know, it, it was sad. It, it was really sad to see, see the writing. And, and I couldn't make sense of the words on the page, right? But it's what no, you wrote. And,
1: yeah. That was yeah. your writing. Yeah. You say we, of course, because your other two brothers, Tommy and John Paul, they were also imprisoned at the same time. Also addicts like yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. two boys yeah Um, the two well Well, we won't go we won't go we won't go into their own personal scenarios but I'm 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 wishing them well wishing them well (laughs) and strength so you did your junior cert in prison you learned to Mm -hmm. read and write when you came out did you manage to turn your life around then
14: when I it was a bit difficult when I came out you know because I was going back into a family environment I had two young kids you know, um, I didn't know how to be responsible. I never had the responsibility of, of someone else before. You know, I was always on my wife. You know, she was fantastic through all this. Like a lot of people say, fucking she? how does she even stay with you? And you know? why did she stay with you? Do you know what, Lee? I'll probably go to the rive. Um, probably still thinking that, but she obviously seen something in me that... Um you see I suppose when you're 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 with somebody that you trust and they're your ne- your nearest and dearest, I suppose you you can actually you can be yourself a little bit more and you know just be a little bit vulnerable, you know. I could, you couldn't be vulnerable out in the street or in the environment that we lived because you'd be swallowed up basically, you know.
1: You had to be tough. You had to be tough it's to bad. survive. But she saw you when the mask slipped. And she also sees you now as the person that you are. She could see that person stuck back in there back in the day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, um, but it's different. And your uh, mam died when you were in jail, didn't she? She did.
14: Um, myself and Thomas were above and um, we were in Leash in the Midlands and John Paul was in the, he was in Cork prison. Um she was at home on her own. So, you know, it all probably got too much of her. So, so um, it just went from there. They kept, they brought us down from the prison to see her in the funeral home for a few hours. Oh my God! Uh, it was tough at the time though because I was going through a lot of stuff myself in the prison. I was, I was talking to um a therapist, a psychologist in the prison. I was going through a lot of childhood stuff, and you know, uh, I had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt of all the things that I was after doing during, during. Um, my addiction, and just growing up, don't, just growing up, all the shit that you do to people, you know, all the, the, the hurt and the pain you cause, and, you know, I was just to go through all that when I got into early recovery, and it all started coming up, and it, it just really, really, it got, got too much at time, and, you know, then meditation was introduced to me in the prison by the, the psychologist, and, um, that's where the med- meditation came into my life. Then
1: you know. So, do you no longer carry guilt or shame? No, I do. You, you manage it, is it? it? Well, these things
14: are like they're there. You know, it's it's there. It's just how you react to it today. Before, when when I when I had all the shame and fear and all these guilt, when I used to come into my daily life, you know, I'd start ruminating about it, constantly thinking and thinking. Whereas through meditation, you now I'm after gaining an awareness about all these things and, and how they work, and I I just feel whatever's going on for me at that moment, and, and I watch whatever's going on in my head, and I try not to I try not to leave it drag me down because before it would have it would have stayed there for days, weeks, on end, just on end. Like I remember the first two years in prison, like. Um, I, I just lived in constant uh, anxiety, and it was like I was in fight or flight. I had adrenaline going through my body. You know, my body didn't know what was going on. It was, it was feeling all these emotions and feelings that it never, never felt before. And it was a really, really difficult time, you know. And I was, I was very angry as well. Mm. You know, I, I built up this really angry. The lean, or it was more like a protection mod, just to protect me, you know, because I was still a kid, yeah, uh, mentally, you know, like I, I never grew up, yeah, like, you know, I no life skills, it? yeah, yeah, I know, no, I, do you know, it, it, there was no life skills there, none whatsoever. I had to kind of learn them when I got sober and clean. It,
1: but none of that long. would have, hap- but none of that would have happened though. Sure it wouldn't the getting the clean, the getting sober, turning your back on crime, drug dealing, use, um, and yeah. if you hadn't gone to jail. Well,
14: I, I was after going to treatment um, back in February 2012 and I went in there and I thought I was like a car going in to get an NCT. I thought I'd be able to go in there and, you know, come back out and have a drink normally, or, you know, and go home and go to bed instead of going on a bender and go missing for a week, you know, and... Um, and that was my idea of treatment. I didn't understand this going in there, but when I went in there, just kind the of dropped a little bit. I didn't understand what was going on in there, if I was to be honest, because I didn't understand the other wording and the feelings and emotions that they're talking about, all these things. I had no idea. And, you you know, stuck with it, though. I stuck with it, you know, because I started. I was kind of kept away from my, my normal environment long enough to understand what I was doing was wrong, you know, um, and, was and that you couldn't time.
1: pick and choose bits of your former life. That a lot of it had to be forgotten no. about. Yeah,
14: no, you you have to you have to stop everything, and that's what I did. I stopped everything from there on. You know, I stopped drinking, I stopped drogging, I stopped. I'm a compulsive gambler as well, and I stopped gambling, and I stopped all the crime. You know, uh, the drug dealing, the whole ass Everything just stopped. At that time, and then, uh, you know, it was difficult, it was difficult but yeah. when prison came into the equation, then prison, I went to prison after coming out of the treatment, I was able to spend two weeks with my family, my my kids and my wife before I went in, um, and they were a good two weeks, but when I went in there then, the, the road of the recovery started. Where would you go? I was, I went to court for uh, a few days, and this put me up to the Midlands because my whole family were inside in Cork Prison at the time, you know, so they wanted to separate us, so they put me up there to the Midlands and they put Tommy up to Portleigh and they kept John Paul in, in, in Cork Prison. I know, you know
1: so. I know. But eight years on now, clean, sober, a lot of college courses under your belt, happily married to the woman who stood by you. Two kids, it's a completely different life you find yourself in. Why are you so public about it all? Say, for instance, with a podcast, yourself and James.
14: Well, do you know what, Neil? I'm not a very I, I would be quite private, and a lot of the people that know me would, would, would say the same. But I think since I finished college, um, I kind of got this feeling just to do something, to give back. And don't don't get me wrong. You know, I am very, very nervous, even on the phone, do you know? You're grand. I I wouldn't be somebody that would be very... It's a challenge, yeah, but you've risen to it. It is, because I'm not not used to all this, but um, it's just, uh, I just want to give back, and and I'm not looking for anything, I'm not looking for any, anything at all, popularity or any of these things, it's just... It's just just about honesty,
1: yeah, it's about honesty. It's just about,
14: you can't help everybody individually, because you... like I have a young family and my time is very important, there And 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 so w- what I'm trying to do is just show people with the podcast myself and James. I just try to show people that there is a way out. You know, it doesn't have to be like, the way it is forever. You know, because that was like I I used to think everybody thought like me. Everybody hated the world. You know, I had serious trust issues with with with, with people in general, and because of. My own childhood been uh, difficult, you know, and I, I would have lost a lot of trust in in people, and all that has came back to me as well. And we see this podcast as just being able to help people that are struggling with mental health issues and addiction, and just to show them and, and and to guide them a little bit. That well, they it's are, very powerful.
1: It's very powerful, yeah. and, and people are people absolutely are are um, you know very much in awe of, uh, of the work that you're doing in that regard, I, and I know that you lost your man, but do you, when you look back now, do you think that maybe you lost many friends that you grew up with as well?
14: I did, but, but a lot of them followed, followed myself the recovery as well, when they seen the change that, that that happened with me. You know, my two brothers were, were destroyed as well, and you know, they call recovery uh, or a, a program of attraction, and I firmly believe that because my two brothers you know they followed me into recovery, you know,
1: and comments. you yeah. Y- yeah you can i don't I don't want to go into detail with regards no, to no, their no, stories I out, to, out I of respect go into to them
14: detail at yeah. all, yeah. like it's just it's like he does a lot of good know as well, and he helps out in around his town with penny dinners and all these different organizations and it's just what it is is really it's just it's just when somebody in the family gets. It's well. The rest of the family seems to just follow my friends or whatever, and that's what's have to happen with my family. And it's fantastic, you know. It's, it's you know. How do you deal with well. How do you
1: deal with triggers now? Is that where you reach out to meetings and and to you know fellow fellow former addicts? Then is it?
14: What is it? Triggers? Is it? Yeah. And um, you know, what? I just I just the right things. You know, I don't go to. I don't go to pubs, and it's not because I I'm not able to go there. I just I just I've better things to do with my life, you know. I've yeah. i we we do a lot of hill walking. We all you know, myself and a, a group of lads, and um, you know, I spend time with my family. We we go to Kerry last because we like it down there.
1: Um, you know, anything at all, really. I just enjoy other people's There's a big world blood. out there. Yeah, there's a big world out you there. Know? and There's lots to do. All you have to do is look. And what, what advice, I mean, I don't mean to over-personalise this, but what advice did you give Martin?
14: Um, we just spoke about the, the meditation and how it helped me, because I, I would have been pretty much like Martin when I was in prison for the, the, the first few years, and I just told him to look up a guy by the name, and oh no, uh, by the name of George Spencer. Um he he really really helped me to understand um, my thinking and and how my thinking was connected to my emotions, my feelings and stuff, and he, how to change it. And, and I just spoke about that to him, and I spoke about how how I changed, and it, it seemed to help him. But I also, I I told him I'd catch up with him, for he'd be my mother's, his dad would be my mother's first cousin, so. We're related down the line somehow. There you, go. We're, there you go, you know. I wouldn't mind just meeting up with him and just having a chat and you know, catching up as well. Just talking about maybe family as well that we probably don't know.
1: You know, I know because if, if if we want to do, he's got he's got you know so many people that are on his side, and and many people seem to want to let Martin know not to feel isolated or not to feel yeah. as if he's the only person in the world who feels the way that he feels. You know, mm-hmm. that's important. That's so,
14: yeah that's when you're when you're depressed like that you know you kind of lose hope in life you lose hope and, and it's very 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 hard to think outside the box you know and to accept even people's nice comments you know people were obviously to me or to me you're flying doing really well to play at the yeah. if you do something good you know I couldn't I never felt that I was any good you know I never felt that I was a good person or that I I you know, I never accepted any of those nice comments, but in time, it all changed for me as well. You know, I started to go inwards in myself and trying to just love yourself a little bit more, something that was, wasn't was a frequent word really growing up. Like, you know, my no, mother, no. as I said, always said, like, she'd she done her absolute best with what she had with three of us, like it was tougher, you know, um, and I can understand that a little bit more now because um, my own kind of suffering with mental health issues, you know, uh, and it's very easy to judge somebody um, on their actions, you know, or whatever. And I'm just speaking about my own family, you know, but when you go through something yourself. It's, it's very, very easy to understand why people do things.
1: You know? Does that involve um, having to say sorry to those that you hurt or reaching out to them? Is that part of the process?
14: Well, Neil, I'd have absolutely. I'm very open to if some, if there's somebody that I really hurt and and they're, they're still in pain over it. You know, I, I'm very, very open to sitting down with that person and listening to them and just apologising because, like, I know a lot of my actions were really mind listened and bad, let's be honest, they were just really vicious and bad, and, and, you know, that's not who I am today, even when I think about all those things, you know, that happened, it I, I get really, really strong feeling of shame mm. and guilt, you know, because even though I haven't got, back then I had no awareness at all, I didn't mm. even know what I was doing, I was just constantly thinking about drink, drugs, gambling, fucking crime, everything like that. Mm. You know, it's clear, it's different. It's different. I, I really, really try my best to understand uh, life and...
1: and but so like for like for most of it, I can't talk for people who would be victims of anybody, but apologising and saying sorry, that's a powerful thing. You know, mm-hmm. what more can you yeah. do?
14: I don't know, Neil. I don't know. Like, this is, this is why we really started the podcast as well, is is, is try right. to, Get people to understand a little bit about why why people in, in addiction and and that had 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 really traumatic childhoods and, and whatever else go down that route of of um, crime and violence, you know. Um, like we're not justifying we like I'm never ever going to be able to justify my actions when I was in addiction you know mm. uh, they happened. And you know, all I can say is sorry, and and, and just hope that people. And understand and, and accept some of my apologies, you know. But, um, yeah, I yeah. do you understand me. I do,
1: I do. As, yeah. That's why I say, What more can you do but from your heart and soul to apologize? No more than that, no more. Yeah. Now, the podcast, The Two Norries, um, yeah, do you know that weekly? Is it or, or how does that work?
14: Yeah, we do a weekly. Um, the first two weeks were part one and part two was my story. And I just speak about how it was when I was in addiction and, and we start from early childhood and we walk up to the end of my kind of um, the madness, really, until I went to prison. And then we speak about the recovery side of it, um, education, recovery, and where I am now. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get a business off the ground where I can help other people that are in recovery or coming from prison that are having a struggle and... You know, I'm hoping to employ them where they're around the same energy and they can talk to people while they're working. I'm and, and hoping at the end of the week, then we can have some form of integration session where we can just sit down and talk about the week. It's not, you know, it's just it's just something that feels really right because when I was in college, I, I really would have struggled with the thoughts of, of um, going into a company. I'd done a degree in construction management and I would have struggled uh, with the thought of going into a construction company and them finding out my past, my criminal mm, record. Mm. And, uh, and how, he, how do you explain something like that in paper, Neil? You know, it's very, know. very, very, very hard, particularly if they don't know who I am
1: now, you know? So. so you want to give people the skills and the tools to be able to deal with something that you struggled with. I'll talk with James on the air tomorrow, please God. Mm-hmm. But Martin has is, is been holding here listening, so I just want to come back to him for just one brief minute. Okay. Oh, he's not, actually. I don't have time for him. Well, it's a shame. Anyway, we'll stay in touch with him in the coming days. It's been okay. great catching up with you finally, Timmy. Um, Thank you. It's been, it's been an incredible journey for you and uh, thanks so much for sharing and we'll talk with James tomorrow
14: yeah and I just uh James is, um, part one of James's story and he'll, will be out today as well it's just to get it out in the air
1: um, you got it pal anything you need come back and okay. let me know alright thanks so okay, much Listen,
14: thank you very much I
1: appreciate it. cheers take care of yourself thank Timmy you. Long um, and we'll pick it up in the morning on one 104 those of you that are asking the two Narys podcast is available for you to listen yourself wherever you get your podcast from Have a good day and see you tomorrow.
2: Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.